hello again, and welcome to the Mana Pool. This is... Oh, crap. So this is 296. Right, 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 right. 296. Is it approaching, real? Approaching that big old number. 298. <laughs> approaching 298 rapidly. <laughs> uh, yeah. We are brought to you, as always, by Cardshark.com, a better way to buy and sell collectible card games. You should totally go there and buy cards. And you should also totally go there and write me an article. Send that to submissions at cardshark.com. You do not actually have to have cardshark.com open while you are, in fact, writing your article. But it doesn't hurt. It doesn't, yeah. And while you're there, you can buy cards while you're writing your article. It's yeah. very cyclical. Cyclical. That's that's with the bikes, right? Yes. Yes. So I am Chewy, the lead dork here, trying desperately to maintain... The status quo? Do we have a status quo? Um, uh. we do, but it kind of just happens. <laughs> oh, okay then. In that case, trying desperately to keep these dorks from burning down the house. <laughs> and failing. Controlled and- entropy. This is exactly why you should always change the batteries in your smoke detector. Because you never know when Brian is coming to town. Unless, of course, it's the end of December. And then you know I'm coming to town. Because I got your name on a list. Yeah. And he means always, he, like every 20 minutes, change the batteries in your smoke detector. I'm Brian. I'm the lead rambler, and I'll say lots of strange things, some of which will make sense and some of which won't. Um, we've got an action-packed show for you here today. Not all of us may make it. <laughs> oh, sure, everybody look at the goblin. I, I think uh, I, get it. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that Dirk will make it to the end of this episode, for example. Well, that's a given. Oh. Um, I'm Mike. I'm the rules guy and the game lore guy. I'll probably also say a couple of strange things, but unlike Brian's, um, mine won't be on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Dirk uh, won't make it to the end of this episode because he's not at the beginning of the episode. But in order to fill uh, Dirk's shoes, we had to go out and get two dorks. So those are some big shoes. I know, right? Well, uh, actually, I just put one person in each shoe, and they can three-leg it. It's bizarre. Anyway, uh, our, our old buddy Squee—I mean, Bill—is with us. Who are you again? I'm half a Dirk again. <laughs> Flashback for long-term listeners. And yeah, um, on the forum, I'm Kurisarathim, and on Twitter, I'm Squee Goblin Nabob with no eye in the goblin. Partly because Twitter won't let me, and partly because goblins tend to lose their eyes. I was going to make a joke about a goblin going blind. So. Yeah, they, they tend to do that. Um, this is a family show. I wasn't well, referring to that. They go blind for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> Let's just they say can't. the Jarfell eyeballs, half of them are squeezed. Oh. That's and a prequel to a conversation later. That's awful. And the other half of Dirk... Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. We got, got my... Am I going to lose my eyes? <laughs> yes, you are. You're the red shirt here. I'm sorry. God. It's it's Kirk and Spock and Bones and Bill and the red shirt. Dark isn't here. Star Trek Into Darkness was so much better than Wrath of Khan. Did you say into darkness? Into That's what darkness. I heard. Into, start into darkness. No, into into darkness. Anyway, anyway, let me anyway, sorry. introducing our red shirt who no. died before the yes. end of the episode. Uh, it's uh, anyone on our forums knows him as uh, Cyberpunk Otaku, right? Yep, that's I it. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't actually see it. And we know him from uh, GP Charlotte, and I know him again from GP Pittsburgh, where he bought me Primani Brothers because I love him. Uh, it's JT, and I love you too, Chewie. Oh, so who are you again? 
Uh, yeah, like you're saying, I'm Cyberpunk Otaku on the forums. Um, actually, there might be an O1 at the very end of that. I don't know. Uh, I still wholeheartedly believe I might rival Eric for the title of many names. Um, I'm also uh, NerdPop140 on Twitter. So, And my question is, is the status quo the times on Facebook when you post a pseudo-philosophical quote? That's one of your statuses? Ooh. Hmm. Possibly. Hmm. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Well-behaved women rarely make history. <laughs> <laughs> beans, beans, the magical fruit. <laughs> Not everything said on the Internet is um, reliable, as said by Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Dr. Mario is not a real doctor. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> oh, well, so much for the internet. Thanks, JT. I read that on the internet. Now, <laughs> we are on topic. We are on topic. So Actually, we are, which is really bad. <laughs> that is kind of terrible. So I grabbed JT at quite possibly literally the last minute. I was like, hey, we're recording now. What are you doing? <laughs> When you grabbed me, I was literally just sitting here watching anime, so that's why I was like, okay, sure. So you're welcome, then. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> but this episode... You stop watching. <laughs> well, that was sort of implied, though. So this episode, as we do every... Uh, what's it? Yeah. Every set release, it is the pre-release episode where we tell you all about what we did at the pre-release. Now, for the first time... Wow. Years. Years. I know I didn't make Fifth Dawn. I don't know if there are any more that I missed since then. Shh. Maybe one here or there? I don't know. That's why it shocked me when you said that you weren't going to any. Yeah. I was like, but you're chewy. I don't know. And I messaged, I messaged him again before the Sunday night when I'm like, so are you going to this one? He's like, nope. And I'm like, who are you? Just a, a testament to how much crap I have going on at the moment. Apparently. So I actually did not do a pre-release, as you could probably tell from that conversation. So that means I get to mute and walk away and let these fools tell you all about their pre-releases. So once Chewie's gone, the uh, the filter comes off, right? This is like a behind-the-scenes kind of episode? I'm not actually leaving. Roll. Oh. <laughs> well, there went all that magic. Yeah, get it? Anyway, oh. So somebody take it away. Well, I may have done the worst out of everybody in the entire world, including that one kid that can't read. And I'm not talking about English. I mean, like, read. Um, and it's hard to – I'm not picking on illiterate people. It's literally very hard to play magic if you don't know what the cards do. So I guess I'll go first. And I did two. And the most amazing thing about this is not how I did. Um, JT, what yes. was the overall theme for Return to Ravnica block. What was the central theme of the cards? Multicolored? Yes. So that's the same with this set, right? Hmm. You, so you would think it would be the other way around with Devotion, but... I think. So I get my opening pool, and on, <laughs> on Saturday, I I picked red. I picked the path of the red. I can't... Warrior or fighting or whatever it is. Um... And I got a, I got my Ember Swallower, and one of my packs had a Foil Bident, the blue weapon. Here were my other rares. Two Psychic Intrusions, the blue-black sorcery. 
One, Annex and his wife. Mm-hmm. I don't have the card in front of me. Annex and whatever. Uh, one, Underworld Cerberus. That's a mythic. One, Triad of Fates. And one, Fleece Main Lion. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell, dude? Collect the whole set. <laughs> I'm like, on the one hand, I like... I like gold cards. Gold cards are awesome. And I know, and here's the thing, and I know I've been playing sealed long enough, uh, to know that you don't just play your, your rares, but I do, some of them are bomby, and I do look to them for some sense of direction. So I'm looking at these for a direction, and I'm like, go left, go right, turn straight in five miles. I don't, I, I, so I ended up going a, um, a white, black, and red combination uh, using at least just the rares, the Annex, uh, the Heroic Guy, the Underworld Cerberus, and the Triad of Fates, because I figured those were some of the stronger ones. The Triad is, re- is repeatable removal, and Underworld Cerberus um, is, is a game changer. I never actually even played the Triad of Fates the whole time. Um, I've got some quick notes here. These really will be quick. I, I Round one, I played against a uh, white-red deck, the only thing notable about this was in the first game, I got out the Black Emissary, just on his own, not bestowing anything. It has It's a 3-3 three, three with discard a creature card from your hand to give it plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. And the Underworld Cerberus. He's at 17 life. I swing with both. He's got a couple guys, but he's building up for a, a big counter swing. And so he says, no blocks. And I look, and he's got one red mana open. And I'm like... No blocks? He's like, well, how many cards do you have in your hand? I'm like, four. And he's like, no blocks. I'm like, all right. So for one red, I'll give my Cerberus plus three plus one until in the turn and, and scry. Not that the scry matters. And I'll discard these three creature cards to my emissary. That's 18 damage. <laughs> Bam! So that, this, there, if there's one lesson I have learned about this, coming after, after drafting and playing the core set quite a few times in real life and online, where things are much more incremental and you'll slowly build up and over a period of time, this format is very swingy. These creatures are big, these effects are huge, so you will have the, oh, I win. Uh, a lot of times. So I lost the rest of that round. He had an Elspeth. So I won one game thanks to my Mythic. He won a game. So it's all good. Um, the only thing bad about this was that the whole match, the whole match, I didn't draw planes. And I'm like, did I build the deck wrong? Um, round two, uh, I won. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Round, round two, I won. Basically off of the Hill Giant, um, Cyclops guy with monstrous, the 3-3 three, three for 4 with built-in trample. A lot of times you don't even have to activate the um, the monstrous. You just keep swinging, and I had enough removal spells to just uh, to just get in there. Uh, round 3, I played against a white-green deck. Um, game 1, I blew up every creature he played. I saw every removal card in my deck, and I'm like, blow them all up. And he's like, really, really... Really? I'm like, yeah. And in game two, I found out why I had to blow up every creature he had, because all it took was one of them sticking, and he starts bestowing stuff on it, and I lose. And then game three, I had to mold a five, and I actually started to come back pretty quick, but it wasn't quick enough. Bestow creatures plus heroic creatures looks like a good combination to me. Um, game four, uh, I 
I won. Uh, round four, I won. Um, a lot more bestow again, but um, it was pretty close. But I didn't really have any interesting stories. So just to keep going, round five, um, this was the final round. It was against a Bant deck. In game one, I was praying and praying for a removal spell because he has the um, the blue dryad out with flying, and he starts putting he puts one ordeal on it, and then he puts a chosen by Heliot on it, and then he puts another ordeal on it, and I'm like, please draw a removal spell so I can because he was literally Voltroning this one guy, and I was like, please let me draw a removal spell to punish him for putting all this stuff on one guy, and it didn't happen. Um, it's and terrible it was, when you can't help someone learn. Well, he was a very good. Well, he was a very good player. I've, I. That's one of the interesting things about the set is they did do a very good job of making enchantments and auras actually much more playable, probably than they've ever been, because it's always been the rule that that an aura has to be incredible, like um, uh, like Rancor or uh, what was the mythic rare Rancor. Um, that turns something into an angel, you know, that sort of thing. Angelic destiny. Thank you. To be, to be good. This, I mean, it was, it was, um, he played very well. One of the enchantments he had on it was another bestow creature. So even if I'd killed that one, he still would have had something. And he was looking at it pretty well. I was holding the four damage, uh, scry burn spell in my hand in the turn before I could have played it because his ordeal, Everything was going to line up so that I could burn it out while it was still a 4-4. Uh, he put the Chosen by Heliot on it, so I don't know whether he just was planning for that or what, but it worked out that um, – and he had at least one counterspell in hand. So he was playing very well. So it wasn't a matter of me not being able to teach him. It was a matter of me like just not being able to really take advantage of it, so to speak. So I ended up. Uh, I like the way I could make a smart-ass art offhand comment and have Brian go off on why that's not right. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. Well, I'm still, and you know, I, I, I just don't want anyone to think that the guy was being a noob or anything like that. So, um, so I went three and two, no, two and three, and just lost out on packs, and then jumping quickly to Sunday just because I don't have any notes about the actual matches. Although I tell you, I'll tell you, I did go one in three out of four rounds. Here are my rares. This time I went blue. So I got the, uh, Kraken. I didn't get any foils this time, so it's six rares. So the first time I, I only got gold cards. This time I didn't just get gold cards. I got two Temple of Abandon, which is the green red land to go with all my blue stuff. Yeah. Um, one, Nykthos Shrine to Nyx, which is great in a devotion deck if you have lots of multi, uh, lots of monocolored cards. One Daxos of Miletus, the white blue guy. One Timoret the Murder King, the black red guy. And one Polis Crusher, the green red giant. <laughs> I now have more than half of the gold cards in the entire set. I, I did a quick look while Holy we were getting crap. ready for the episode, and I have listed um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have eight of the 15 rare or mythic rare gold cards. I'm not going down to uncommon and things like that, but 
I was like, really? I was sitting across from Mike for the, for the Sunday night one and I opened one and he, he starts laughing and we just, go, and we're like, really? Really? Not a single, gosh, multi, not every a single, single pack. Oh my God. Every pack. And I'm like, not a single monocolored, monocolored rare except for that one Biden and the pro- promos in any of my packs. For the Sunday night one, I will tell you, I actually, built a white blue deck and a jund deck just to see what would happen better and i sleeved up the white blue one thinking it was going to be stronger and i played the first round and i played the the white blue one first because i figured it would maybe be stronger it was it got completely run over i switched to the jund one i crushed him in the second game and i lost in the third game and i went around and i sleeved up the other deck instead um, but I still, uh, I went one and three, but because Lucky is awesome and it was the last tournament of the weekend, I still ended up with two packs. So I have them here, so maybe I will open them later. But for right now, let's hear how everybody else did. Everybody else get lots of multicolored stuff from this multicolor set. I want you to open those packs by the end of this episode so we can watch you get two more gold cards. <laughs> by, by my reckoning, I, I do not have a Prophet of Cruffix, which is the Seedborn Muse guy, a Reaper of the Wilds. I have Steam Auguries now because John was with me at the uh, Saturday, and I traded my Psychic Intrusions for his um, Steam Auguries because he just wasn't going to use them. So I guess I can cross that one off. So that's another one I have. Ashen Rider, Ashiok. I wonder where I can get an Ashiok from. Hmm. Hmm. Foreshadowing. Uh, Madomai the Ageless or a Xenagos the Reveler. John opened up a Xenagos. John's not here, so I'm going to tell you about his pool on Saturday. A Xenagos. He, he went green. Uh, Xenagos, the promo, the, the, the heroic girl that turns your lands into creatures. Another copy of that promo, uh, just in a normal booster pack. An Arbor Giant, um, and one or two other things. It, his, his pool was crazy good, but he's not here. So, eh. So, who else went to some pre-releases or something? <laughs> uh, I also went to two different pre-releases. The first one was at uh, the Toy Factory in Hillsborough, North Carolina, because um, uh, one of my old friends, Gabe, invited me to come and uh, play there with him. And Bill was there too, so we'll hear from Bill later. And uh, I decided to I decided to choose black, not just because I was most interested in playing with the promo, but because I was most interested in the special hero card that came with it for the um, for the Heroes Path thing. So I did that, and I uh, I opened up my my special seated pack, and the rare in there was uh, Erebus. So immediately I'm like, okay, I don't care if I crater for the rest of the day, I'm happy. And he texted me Erebus. with that exact sentence. Yeah, that's what he yeah. said out loud too. I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was happy about that. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of details from the rest of my pool, except that three of my rares were green. Uh, I got a, a bow of Nelia. I got the devotion plus one plus one counter guy, and I got the manager ads. But the rest of my green was just nothing really going on, so I couldn't implement them. But I got a bunch of good and useful um, black and red stuff in my commons and uncommons, including a lot of removal and a lot of scry, like a whole lot of scry. So that made it easier to find my big cards when I 
when I went digging for them. You know, like I, I got um, two Read the Bones. I got two of the four damage to something spell. Um, I think I got two of the one damage spell also. But yeah, it was it was great. Um, and uh, let's see, how did I go? I I went. How many rounds was that, Bill? Was it? Did we do five rounds? We did five. Okay, yeah. So I ended up um, actually going four and one, and and making uh, third place. I I did pretty well. The one round I lost was the first one. Um, it was the guy who ended up being in second place, and his deck was wildly crazy good. Um, one of the match, one of the games I lost against him in that match was uh, I put down I put down the the black devotion cleric who makes your opponent reveal that many cards and you get to make him discard one. So I had he had four cards in his hand and I had four devotion show showed me four cards and it was one um you know giant fox trampley thing and four removal spells. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and I asked him out loud, what the hell dude? And he started laughing. <laughs> like seriously, what the hell? You know, I made him discard the the fox because he already had one on the battlefield and I definitely couldn't deal with another one but those foxes the, are pretty tough yeah but the removal spells I had to leave behind eventually ended up making me lose so well but I had a lot of fun at first it seemed like it was difficult getting up to a decent amount of devotion but um but I don't know whether I just started having better luck with it as the day went on or I actually started playing differently to let it happen more often I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what happened there were multiple times in the first two rounds where I played the demon and I was only getting two harpies because he was my only guy because something big had just happened and all my creatures had gotten cleared out. And that was sad. Um, but Erebus was a big help. I might have only activated his card draw ability maybe three or four times that day, but it helped a lot. And he especially helped when he turned into a 5-7. Was, that was very nice. Um, so I had fun there. And I won three packs for... For that record, and what were my rares? My rares were the white black uh, Scryland. I got a Pixis of Pandemonium, and I got an Ashiach. So I was very happy about that. Um, then Brian invited me uh, on Sunday evening to go out to Lucky's, and I decided to to take a different path. I had seen some people have a lot of fun with uh, with blue the previous day, so I decided to go blue at Lucky's and. I was sitting there, you know, and Brian and I had been talking about our luck the previous day, and you know we were we were both laughing at Brian's luck. And when I opened my seated booster, the rare was uh, Thassa, God of the Sea. (laughs) Yeah. So I was I was happy to see that. (laughs) In the rest of my pool, I also ended up getting um, uh, Herbident. another copy of Ashiach in my pool this time and a bunch of other stuff that really pushed me towards doing uh, blue and black. And even though I only ended up going two and two, was it just four rounds, Brian? It was just four rounds. Yeah. Even though I I only ended up going uh, two and two, I had a lot of fun and Brian and I didn't have to play each other. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, what? You guys always have to play each other. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have no idea how it, how it did not happen. Did you and Gabe or Bill have to play each other? I had to play Gabe. That doesn't surprise me. That makes yeah. up for it, then. It's fine. Yeah, me and Gabe almost always have to play each other. <laughs> um, oh, here's a, here's a little fun, here's a fun little story from my match with Gabe on Saturday. 
So uh, I was so in, in my black and red deck, I was playing the the two uh, flesh mad steeds that I had gotten because I liked them. I thought they were pretty good. And Gabe made a comment about it. He said, "You know, when I first saw that guy, I didn't think he was all that great, but actually, he's he's pretty decent." And and I said, "Yeah, you know, you just have to pay attention to when you use your removal, so you get the best use out of him." And and he's and he's pretty good. So of course, right after I finished saying that. I use an instant removal spell to kill one of his creatures during my pre-combat main phase and tap down my steed, and he can't attack. Of course. That was about when I got there. Yeah, Bill walked up right after that happened. <laughs> I didn't know what had happened, because you're like, I just said I shouldn't do that. And I'm like, I don't know what you said, Mike, but apparently you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and now I know. So that was a nice little absent-minded professor moment. Um, and... Like Brian said, the the prize payout that Lucky did was pretty generous. So even at two and two, I ended up getting four packs. So I got more booster packs with a two-two record at Lucky's than I did um, <laughs> with four and one the previous day, which just felt kind of messed up. So, but hey, I wasn't yeah, we'll get back to the prize distribution with John when we get back to me because it's pretty ridiculous what myself versus my opponent came away with. Oh yeah, that's right. That was pretty lopsided. Yeah. But yeah, um, Ashiok was really, really good. Like, I would just plus until I saw something good in the pile that I could minus out, and I just kept doing that over and over again whenever I got him. And it was awesome. It was super awesome. Did you uh, generally get two creatures out of it? Yeah, most of the time. Sometimes I only got one, but uh, but uh, the times I got him, I usually got two if my nice. opponent didn't make him die somehow <laughs> in my... In in my first match, uh, the last game, I ended up playing Ashiok in all three games of my first match, um, but I still ended up losing. His deck was just way too fast. And in in the in game three, you know, I played Ashiok on turn three again, like I had done in games one and two, and I flipped into the the Devotion Druid, cost four, and um, my opponent had played that. Uh, that heroic guy who gives himself two plus one plus one counters. But for some reason, I didn't recognize the art from across the table, and I thought it was something else. So after he plays that, I go ahead and I pull the, I do, you know, Ashok's at five, so I do minus four to pull the Devotion Druid, you know, just to get a creature. And, you know, keep ramping into my uh, big monsters that I had. And then my opponent does the, uh, oh, for some reason, I cannot remember the name of any spells. That new fight spell. That also uh, time, time to feed or something. Yeah, time to feed. He does uh, time to feed. You know, making his guy fight the fight the druids. So of course, now his guy turns into a four four because of the heroic trigger. He gets three life. He crashes into Ashiok. He kills him. So now he has a four four that he also proceeds to start bestowing enchantments on. <laughs> it just makes me lose horribly. Helia's Emissary is really powerful, as both a creature and an, and an aura. I have to say, the most um, most interesting match I saw you playing at on Sunday night, I walked over, you had um, uh, Thassa out, and you had a um, just a, a, a one-power a one power guy suited up with one, and you later put another, uh, is it Aqueous Form? Yeah, Aqueous Form. Aqueous form on that with a with a bident out, so you could you attacked you scried for one, you scried for one again, and then you were gonna draw whatever it was. So was that, that was, in my match against uh, the guy I liked or the guy I despised. 
I can't remember honestly. But yeah, uh, you didn't was, quite draw it out. You didn't. You didn't win that one. If that helps, you okay, just didn't it, get the removal spells you needed. Yeah, then I get the feeling it was against the guy I despise. Um, yeah, Aquis form became one of my uh, new favorite cards Sunday night. It's just really, really good. It's ridiculous how much you're getting out of a blue. Mm-hmm. You just get so much. Like it's really easy to miss the every turn scry one because you would normally pay a blue to make a guy unblockable. Yeah. Period. If that's the game I was thinking of, I was having to play so hard to stay alive. And you I were. Just not make it work. You were. You were doing everything in your power to just stay with it. So, but yeah, no, Mike, Mike and I were we we were having that discussion about like how far blue uh, unblockable had gone had gone. Like it used to be, <laughs> you know, that it cost three blue, and then it cost, you know. Two blue and you couldn't be blocked and it could still be blocked by walls and then it was one and a blue and now it's a blue and that's not quite enough on its own. So, so much for just creatures getting better. Looks like some spells have gotten better too. (laughs) Aqueous form is so annoying when you don't have an answer for it. Yep. Just a little sneak peek into mine is that I, my second round on one of the days, a guy had it on one of his like two twos. And I could not do anything because I could not drop any of my pieces of removal for it. And so it's just like, okay, in for two, mm-hmm. in for two, in for two. Okay, next game. It does that a lot. Yeah. Um, yep. Let's see. Did you open up yeah. your prizes yet? Have you got? Did you get another Ashiok? No, I opened up my prizes uh, right there. Oh, that's right. I, I didn't get anything memorable in them. The only thing I remember clearly is a Polis Crusher, which I was. Which I like, but I can't remember the other stuff. Polar's Crusher does some work. That was mm-hmm. one of the reasons why my Jun deck was as good as it was. Tweet. Yeah, that's my story. And now we know his story. <laughs> and uh, now it's half the battle. I don't know. It's. I think that was in the 80s. Nowadays, knowing is like 35% of the battle. <laughs> Alright, just make man, up the rest of it. Yeah, the rest of so, it's guesswork and nonsense. Uh, hey, Bill, you you were at the same shop as Mike. How'd you do? Um, I did pretty well, actually. I, I had a lot of fortune in my sealed pool, which I actually took a picture of. So I will <laughs> share with the class. Like almost all your rares were on color and on curve. Ridiculous, yeah. Take a look at that. <laughs> so my my rares that I played with were the Bident of Thassa, which goes really well with Thassa, God of the Sea. And I also had a Prognostic Sphinx. And then I had the Shipbreaker Kraken. That was my pick a blue bonus. And then I had a Polychronos World Eater, because why not? So Seems pretty good. It was a pretty ridiculous pile of stuff. Um, but where's all your gold cards? In my sideboard. Oh. I, I did get the... Um, <laughs> I did get the um, Onyx and Siamid or whatever card, and I got a Temple of Silence for my other cards from that. Nice. So Those were fun. Um, yeah, so it, it sort of became one of those things. I, I didn't really take a lot of notes or anything because I was just playing, but most of my games had a very similar structure, which was I mulligan a lot even though I'm running 18 lands. And then when I finally get to start playing guys... Like, once I get going, around turn three, I usually drop something. Um, my deck didn't have that many three drops. They just would consistently show up. Um, like, Thassa, I only turned into a creature once the entire day. Mm-hmm. But Thassa's ability to let you scry every turn is ridiculously good, as you would expect. 
and being able to just dump, you know, one in a blue to make something unblockable is ridiculous. It's completely and utterly ridiculous and limited because you've got all these other things in blue that do stuff when they hit people. So it just turns all of that on really well. Like I've had a number of times where I had a Bident of Thassa and Thassa both out together. And so you're like scrying all the time, drawing cards, doing whatever. Um, I found that I subconsciously was treating Thassa like a planeswalker as if I had to leave something back to defend it somehow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. It just, it felt like something I was supposed to do. I think it's because I wasn't attacking it with things because I wanted to keep them around and not get them blocked and then lose their devotion. But it very much felt like I was playing a planeswalker and leaving blockers back somehow. Um, it, it ultimately didn't matter that much. Uh, I did some pretty sick things with the prognostic sphinx whose deal is it's three blue, blue, three, five sphinx. It flies. It has the ability to discard a card to give it hexproof and tap it, which Partly because it's a brand new card to a lot of people, and partly because it has all this other stuff that it does, you don't really notice that line, but there isn't a lot of removal to go around, and it's really funny when someone's like, grip-tied that, and you're like, no. And then you don't feel that bad about tapping it. (laughs) But it gets pretty sick. But its main thing is, whenever it attacks, you scry three. So that's not when it does damage to a player or anything, it's just when it attacks. Oh yeah, we we went on for quite some time on the preview episode about this guy, because it's pretty good. It's pretty crazy because um, when you have the Biden doubt, you get into all kinds of a mess <laughs> since you can sort of attack with it and line up which of the three cards you want to draw this turn and which one you want to draw next turn and then get rid of that other one because who needs another land? And it's really hard to lose once you get that momentum going. I also set up something similar where I would um, I would bestow Thassa's Emissary on it because I just had all these cards with Thassa in the name. And again, it's that whole thing where now you're attacking with like a, a six eight flyer and you can hexproof it on demand and yeah, you you're pretty much just gonna kill them in a few turns as you sculpt the perfect hand. Um and then of course I got to the reason I went blue was honestly just so I could do the release the Kraken thing. <laughs> and it happens a lot actually. Getting to eight mana is pretty easy to pre release. So just all these times where I'm like, and now you're out of the game. Oh, okay. Um, I did get to play with Polychronos a bit. Um, I had one opponent steal him, and they had green mana open, but I don't think they were paying enough attention to realize they could have just popped his monstrosity for nothing before they gave him back. If they had, I think they might have won that game, but instead they gave him back, and then I made him a super monster and started eating stuff. So, eating worlds, as he is wont to do. Um, I can, again, reinforce that um, the Aqueous form is ridiculous on pretty much every creature in my deck. I found myself putting it on the Agent of Horizons a lot, because even though Agent of Horizons has the ability to make itself unblockable, if you just make it free unblockable, you're just beating someone for three and scrying every turn, and that's pretty sick when you start doing it on turn four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, the unsung hero of my deck is totally the Sedge Scorpion, which is exactly as annoying as everyone thought it would be. And the complete bane of every deck ever. I'm telling you, it and it happens. It happens Saturday and it happened Sunday. Every time a new scorpion gets printed, my opponent has one. Yep. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Mm-hmm. It's exactly as predicted. And for case of point, the first game of the day, my opponent had the no really screw you blue hydra, and it was just loaded with all these things which were like can't be countered, protection from blue, all this stuff gonna mess you up. And I dropped a scorpion, and he could never once attack me with the stupid giant hydra. <laughs> And that's the reason I survived, because most of my deck is blue, and I would have died very easily otherwise. But 
the tiny little scorpion gets there. But anyway, yeah, I played out the the day and I ended up undefeated with this pile of blue and green madness. And so, like I was saying before, um, John's shop has a bit of a skewed thing where like first place gets a lot and then everyone else gets, you know, like one, two or three packs. And that's pretty much how it works. So because I was undefeated, I came in first. And so my prize haul was nine packs and $50 cash. And the guy that I beat at the end, who was like four and one, walked away with three packs. So that was a yeah. bit of a step down. I felt a little bad about that. Damn. Yeah, John was originally planning if, uh, if, and, and only if 36 people showed up, he was going to put up, um, a choice between a hundred dollars and, uh, from the vault 20 for the first place, first place prize. But only, there were only 24 of us there. So John decided to just throw in 50 bucks on top instead. Hmm. So it it is the first time I have ever actually cashed at Magic. I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I day one cashed. It was awesome. So didn't you do a second one? Or did you just do the one? No, I just did the first one. It, it's one of those weird things where after all of these times over the last year where they're like, you know, you can go to all these things and collect all these boxes because I have like eight of the guild boxes from last year. I sort of reached the point now where I'm like, no, I'm good. I did a good thing here. I'm happy. I'm going to go do other stuff this weekend now. I'm sort of getting tired of the having to choose thing. I, I really enjoy when they're like, here's a pre-release card or here's a promo card. You don't have to play it. Now just play Magic as opposed to, uh, I mean, I kind of want to play green, but I don't like the green promo dude as much. And like, you know, the white promo dude is awesome, but his color is not as good. And blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to be thinking mm-hmm. that much at a pre-release. Like, if there if one of these wasn't a giant Kraken, I don't know what I would have done. So, I'm strange. I'm the person who doesn't want to play with their pre-release card. I just want to play Magic, because when everyone has a pre-release card, I feel like it gets kind of skewed. Like, the way the format actually works just gets skewed, because, like, the people who actually get stuff in their color have stuff like my deck, where just everything is really, really all over, the, you know, solid and concentrated. But if they miss even a little bit, Brian. then you get Brian's deck, and you have, like, gold <laughs> cards everywhere, and you're really and that's just Gold cards are awesome. <laughs> I don't think Brian's right. pool counts as missing a little bit. <laughs> mine, mine was truly a uh, an outlier. So, but no, <laughs> I actually I agree with Bill where I kind of missed the just, and you know we're, we the guys uh, Chewy and Mike and myself were talk have been talking a little bit. I mentioned it a while ago about going to uh, a sealed a Thero sealed tournament that'll be in Charlotte uh, in November. And I don't know exactly how that format will play out because I'm not going to have a chance to play a whole lot of sealed between now and then. In the pre-release, if you go in thinking it's how sealed is, that one seated booster plus the the promo makes a big big difference. So I'm not saying you should treat a, a pre-release like tournament practice. I'm not, but I'm saying if you think they're the same animal, they're like not. They're close. It's like the pre-release is a chimpanzee, and this other sealed tournament is a... What's the one with the big blue butt? Yes, Baboon. blue butt. Yeah. It's a red butt? I don't know. I don't look that close. I am Weasel. Power Baboon? There you go. There we go. So, so yeah, Power Rangers. All right. Blue butts. <laughs> Check. We need Baboon power now. So, yeah, that, that's about all I've got to drop on this one, other than Sea God's Revenge is totally worth it. It costs six mana. It's totally worth it. You will it's ruin t- your opponent every single time, and they will hate you because they've been bestowing and doing all the. Oh, I did do the dumb thing where I um 
my opponent bestowed something and like attacked all in. And so I'm like, I'll show that guy. And I like see God's revenge and bounced all this stuff. And that many had a blocker now. And I was like, Oh, I'm an idiot. I could have attacked and then done it. And then I would have been fine. But no, I was stupid and impatient. So I knew I was going to do it and I did it. (laughs) So you were right. Ha. Yeah. Yeah. No, I am completely predictable. I will make the predictable mistakes and then I will be sad. And now it's JT's turn. Yay. Um, all right. So yeah, I did two this weekend as well. Um, first day I went path of wisdom. And for those of you who don't know your color pie, that's blue. Um, and I actually ended up with a seal pool that was a lot like bills. Like in my seated booster, obviously had the Kraken, but I also ended up with the Sphinx as well. Uh, nice. which is as Bill was saying, awesome. When you remember to actually scry when you attack. I forgot yeah. that. I forgot that a couple times. I also ended up with Polychronos too. So I don't know how we both ended up with that. It but was awesome. It, yeah, it, it really is. Like not even with the monstrosity, just a five-five on turn four. Yeah, kind of hard to deal with that sometimes. Um, in addition to that, in my actual deck, I end up having Master of Waves, the mythic uh, four-drop that gives you the elemental tokens equal to your devotion to blue. Which, by the way, is also really, really good with Vaporkin, because it's a 2-1 flyer for two that is an elemental. So he pumps up those as well. And then the other rare I end up using my pool was Bow of Nylia, which is awesome on the offensive and even in a long, drawn-out match, because it's like, oh, gain three life, oh, give this creature a counter. That card's ridiculous in general. Yeah. It's like a trading post from hell. I had a massive problem with the bow when they first spoiled it just because of the fact that, like, oh, all these other um, artifacts will do one thing, whereas this one, choose one of four things. I didn't like that until they actually said that it's supposed to be each effect is supposed to represent one of the seasons. And being the fourth host that I am, I heard that. I was like, okay, I'm fine with that now. But yeah. um, Dork. (laughs) Also Death Touch, which is year-round. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, I mean, my deck for, um, day one was, I, I really liked it, but I didn't, it didn't perform as well as I'd hoped. I ended up going three and two. There weren't any, uh, memorable stories from it except for the one time that I had top decked the scorpion that Mike hates Woo! and used the time to feed that I had in my hand to, in combination with the scorpion to kill off my opponent's largest creature and swing in for the win. <laughs> which that is a lot of fun when it comes out of nowhere like that. You're not um, the scorpion. <laughs> no. Um, but like I said, I only ended up three and two and prize payout in my place is a little bit uh, w- more widespread. So that means less for each player. But in one of my prize packs, I did get a uh, uh, peripheros. So I'm happy with that. Nice. Um, Day two, though, or day two, on Sunday. Yeah. Sunday was a lot more fun because, like Bill, I took a picture of something from this day, and I'll share it with you guys. And I want you guys to tell me what colors I played on Sunday. Click. Do-do-do-do-do. Oh, wow. Why is he nude in this picture? No, no. That's, the other <laughs> no, that, link, the other that, link, That's how I was saying. Oh, no, the other one. That, that, that um, was just for you guys. I'm really hoping that you, you played, played blue white. Green. I'm yeah. thinking blue white. I actually went red. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, so for everyone else, uh, my sealed pool on Sunday had in my seated pack. So um, I had the celestial archon, which is sick. 
I also had Heliod uh, in my seeded pack. Then I proceed to open up, well, we'll get the Oddwell out of the way, Underworld Cerberus. So red, black to go with the two white that I just opened. Perfect. Then I, gold cards. Gross. <laughs> but unlike Brian, I'm not playing in an RTR block pre-release event. <laughs> so I, I proceed to open up Meadow Maya the Ageless, Biden of Thassa, another Master Blaze, and a Curse of Swine. So I have opened up three blue rares, two white rares, and a blue-white rare, or mythic, depending on whichever card it was. So I obviously went blue and white, um, which ended up performing a lot better for me than the deck before it um, on Saturday, the green-blue version I had built. Um, in this one, the games were a lot more fun and a lot more memorable. Round one of, the, of Sunday, I played against a red-green monstrosity deck, which actually turned into a really, really grindy game um, because he had large creatures with reach that my players can't get over, obviously, but he couldn't really swing into me or else I would just kill him on the swing back. And it ended up coming down to uh, Heliod's ability to make enchantment creatures, which allowed me to put up enough blockers where I can start swinging in, getting his, his other things out of the way, and um, eventually getting in for the win. And then in the second game of that round, I drop Metamai and I'm swinging for um, six or seven in each turn cycle just because Metamai has pseudo-vigilance with his effect because you'll get in for four, take your second turn, he untaps, and he can't attack, so he's left uh, up to block, which is really nice. Um, so I end up uh, winning the first round. Second round, I played a red-white-black extort deck, believe it or not. Now, Judge. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Extort isn't actually in the set, but um, there is the uncommon one-drop black creature that has pretty much Extort yeah. for his work ability. Yeah. And then there's the um, white crab. Um, well, he's a human, but he's a 1-4 that uh, Extorts for two and a black. And so my opponent had built a deck based around those creatures pretty much. And so he's draining me and I'm trying to get in for as much as I can. Um, but it's just not working out until I end up getting, uh, the Bident and the two drop flying Pegasus, the one that gives all your humans flying when they attack. Um, and just burying him in card advantage until I was finally able to just plow through all, uh, all the life gain he got. So that's how round two went in both games, actually. Uh, Round three, my deck decided to give me two lands for a total of eight turns in game one, and then give me three lands for six turns in game three, or game two. So I didn't win those games. Kind of hard to win those games when your opponent is playing red-black haste minotaurs. Um, so that was uh, my first loss of the day. Um, however... Something odd happened in round four where my opponent had actually dropped the round before, but the system never actually registered him as dropping. So I end up with a buy in the very last round to put me at three and one. Again, very, a really weird <laughs> way to, it was a weird way to end it, but what was really cool about that was I actually spent the last round, um, talking to and helping out this kid who was there who had the actual buy in the tournament. And for those of you who don't know, that means the, the buy means that you actually have the lowest ranking in the tournament at that point. So I actually spent that entire round um, helping him out. Like we sorted out his, laid it all out on the table. I told him, I showed him some things to be like, 
I would have done differently with his deck and things like that. And then we played out a couple of games where I literally, uh, he would go to do something and I would stop and be like, maybe you'd want to think about doing this instead. So I just spent that entire round just helping out one of the other kids, which I thought was um, a lot of fun and probably more fun than actually playing out that last round. Great. Yeah, but yeah, so I end up uh, three and one uh, for second day. Um, no real notable things for my prize packs for that one either, but I figured with the pool I'd opened up, it was okay. So what was the biggest thing you turned into a pig? <laughs> um, that was he still me. wearing pants? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, no, he was not wearing pants because he wasn't oh. wearing pants to begin with. Um, I In round uh, three, when I was playing the Minotaur tribal deck, I turned uh, his rare Minotaur Lord and the red-black Minotaur Lord, the one that gives them plus two uh, yeah. when they're attacking in haste. I turned both those into pigs. He had both of them out at the same time? Yep. And I'm glad he turned them both into pigs. Yeah, and that was after I got rid of two other Minotaurs. He literally had a Minotaur tribal sealed deck. I read Mark Rosewater's article on Monday, and Turn to Swine was originally going to be a devotion-sensitive card where it would actually... You wouldn't have X. Instead, you'd have, you know... uh Devotion to blue, there would be that many creatures. And I think X is arguably arguably a lot better because you don't have to depend on having permanence on the board. Yeah, so the devotion version would suck so bad. Yeah. It would also I'm, not make a lot of sense. No. I mean, it would be pretty sweet if it costs like two and maybe you got three or four out of it. But getting to three or four devotion, especially for blue, but really in any color, is, nev- is not always a guaranteed thing. So... Plus, it would suck if somebody, like, you're like, I'm going to do this, and they're going to be like, you don't have that much anymore, or however it worked. So I'm just glad they didn't do that, because that would be terrible. Yeah. One thing I did notice this weekend, though, um, with a lot of these token generators that they have in this, I mean, like, I'm thinking more more along the lines of, like, Heliod. Yeah. And I don't know if it was brought up with you guys either last week or the week before, or just I heard it somewhere else. But the fact that they make tokens make you uh, miscount the devotion you have in your head, because mm. you'll think you'll think each one of your tokens contributes to it, but right. it, it doesn't because they don't have a mana cost. So right. I'm like, oh, I'll make three tokens and that'll activate uh, Heliod's creature. And no, it, it doesn't. The only time a token will have a mana cost is if it is a token that is copying. Something that has a mana cost. For example, if you have a token from Cackling Counterpart, uh, which threw me off at one point when I was playing online and I was like, Ratchet Bomb, blow up your guy. And I'm like, it didn't blow up. Is that a, is that a bug? I don't understand. You know, oh, okay. So, because it copies all the characteristics of that card. But otherwise, a, a token does not have a mana cost. The more you know, I do want to say, Brian, that when you were going through the multicolored cards that you did not open, I think those are the only ones that I did open. <laughs> the Prophet, the Reaper, the Steamogary, the Ashiok, the uh, the Aegis one, and the Reveler, and yeah. So, is that everybody? Ooh, ooh, I didn't tell you what I opened. Not a damn thing. Okay. So do you, you want me to go ahead? a weekend of free time. So do you want me to go ahead and open these packs and see how many gold cards there are, how gold rares there are? I got two packs here. Is that allowed? Holy cow, it's a cracker pack. 
Oh my god, we're cracking packs on the manifold. You remember when oh, we used to do man. that? Done... Yeah. Do we care about the comments? Because I can read every single one if you want. Nah. Okay. We're not taking those. We're money drafting. Lost in the labyrinth. That's awesome. Okay. Um, a Horizon Scholar for the Uncommon. I had two of this guy on Sunday. And my blue deck, uh, it's the 4-4 for 6 when it enters the battlefield, Scry 2, which were pretty good, but it's funny how it still just wasn't enough to keep up with the really big things, like the 5-5s five that were coming down on turn 3. So uh, You forgot uh, its most important feature. It's a Sphinx. It's, it's, <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Oh Sphinx my God. Tribal. A coordinated assault, which for a red is really not too bad, for a single red. A Spellheart Chimera. It's a gold card, and yeah. then I'm gonna. Uh, uh, oh, now that I'm not playing anymore, it's a monocolored card. It is a hammer of perforos. So nice. That's pretty nice. It's pretty perforos. cool. I like that. All right, and then that uh, uh, this one doesn't ah. want to open. Use your teeth. It's okay, we can't see you. <laughs> Let's see. Uncommons, uncommons. Vanquish the Fowl, which is, uh, I don't know, just so slow. Um, Karametra's Acolyte, that thing that Mike stole that wasn't good enough to protect against the other thing and he ended up losing. Um, uh, Favorite Hoplite, which is the little itty bitty fog guy. And an Anger of the Gods. I guess I'm going red. That's the closest like, thing we've got to you know, wrath. Like, you know, all all that red that I opened on Saturday. So, <laughs> okay, yay. Well, I'm happy with both of those. I'll play both of those, so, okay. Sweet. Sweet. Should we take a break? Yes. So, Thanks. we've been doing this whole Hero Month thing with the break music for a while now, and it's the end of the month almost, right? Yep. Good. Yeah, almost. Because I am sick of Hero Music. So, with that in mind... Oh, now I now I really do wish I'd made my special request, but keep going. Oh, I'm sorry. With that in mind, this uh, episode's hero song is We Don't Need Another Hero by Tina Turner. It's from uh, Thunderdome, man. Mad Max? No? Anybody? Bueller? Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome? Yeah, that yeah. one. After the Thunderdome, sometime beyond the, fu- the Thunderdome. It, it was actually just to the left of the Thunderdome. Sorry. Uh, Remember the Alamo and the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so enjoy some Tina Turner. You know, she's like 106, and I would still hit it. And we'll be right back. Did I say that out loud? Yes. Oh. <laughs> say what? <laughs> Beyond Yippee. the Thunderdome. Didn't she have like the big hair in that movie? Everyone had big hair. It was the, the 80s. Oh, right. <laughs> and there were the children's. Oh, the children's. Anyway, they actually sing in that in that song. I wonder if I'll use that part. Hmm, I don't know. I no, guess the listeners know, but I sure as hell don't. <laughs> we'll find out in the future. <laughs>
Isn't isn't doesn't Back to the Future like actually take place in um Back to the Future Part Two? Doesn't that take place in two thousand fourteen? Fifteen. 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 Okay, we're still we're almost there. We're getting closer. Hoverboards, man. Son of a bitch, I want to hoverboard. <laughs> Screw hoverboards. Where we're going, we don't need roads because there are roads. They're just in the sky. <laughs> they're still technically roads. They're just not pavement. Quiet, you. Okay. <laughs> I want to drive to the moon. I'm not sure what's going on right now. I have this urge to drive you to the moon. So, let me play among the stars. All right. Quick, uh, quick aside. Listener mail. Mike. Yes. This is from Zachariah. For some reason, he sent it to ChewyAtTheManapool.com, which honestly, I didn't even know worked. I didn't know that was an email address that was a thing. So, Yeah, I think Scott set those up for each of our usernames. Really? Or it might be an automatic thing for the, on those side. I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe he just did it for you. But anyway, he sent it to me. And since I never give this email, I always give out like dorksatthemanapool.com or chewy at mtgcast.com. So I don't know how he got this. But anyway, he says, <laughs> can you tell me how the palancron infinite mana combo works, please? Uh, very well, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what? <laughs> so the way it works is, you know, we're going to assume you have a mana flare or a heartbeat of spring on the battlefield as well, you know, because that's how this actually works. Um so Palancron says whenever it enters the battlefield, you want to tap up to seven lands. Uh, and that is something you definitely want to do. What you do is that when you cast Palancron, you know, under the influence of a Mana Flare or, or Heartbeat of Spring, you go ahead and tap seven lands, make 14 mana. Um, then you play the Palancron, you've only used up seven. Then you get to untap seven lands. You still have seven mana floating. Use four of it to put Palancron back in your hand. Um, that means you still have three floating. So Palancron is back in your hand again. Then you tap seven more lands, getting 14 more mana to play Palancron again. He comes in, you untap seven lands, and you net three mana every time you, uh, every time you do this cycle. So eventually you just build up, you know, your favorite large numbers worth of mana, uh, and use it to win. You know what else works with Palancron to create infinite mana? Dead Eye Navigator. <laughs> Dang it, man. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. Yes, it does. So, in that situation, instead of a Mana Flare Heartbeat of Spring, assume you have a Dead Eye Navigator. Now, instead of, instead of going through the whole process of playing Palancron and then using his ability to bounce himself, you just play Palancron, pair him with Dead Eye Navigator, and then just pay two mana to flip Palancron out and back in. So then you're, so then if, even if you don't have anything increasing the amount of your mana production, you're netting five mana each time you do this cycle. So you'll build up to your favorite large number even faster and use it to win. Sounds dirty. It is. If you feel too guilty, you can untap some of your opponent's lands while you do it. (laughs) (laughs) You can. That is allowed. I swear I'm not holding a doom blade. (laughs) Scout's honor. So there you go, Zach. Uh, yeah, thanks for the email to the mystery address that I didn't know was actually existed. So, Dead Eye Navigator. Hmm. Too soon. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I guess we are going to talk about, as we do every, every year, uh, every set. No, I guess every year, yeah. Every year. Around this time. Rotation. What's going away? Never to be seen in standard again until they reprint the damn thing. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that we're only talking about standard here since 
modern is a thing and extended used to be a thing and legacy and vintage and, you know, casual formats galore as well. Most of the, you know, and in our group, we don't really just play standard anyway, but you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing to think about, especially since we dip our toe in competitive waters from time to time. Mike over the last year has been playing a lot of FNM compared to previous years. Yeah. So, uh, I guess let's, let, let's go by set first and let's talk about, uh, stuff that's in M13 that is not an M14. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can I get the obvious one? Can I get the obvious Take one? Take the obvious five. Obvious five. I assumed you were going to talk about the lands when you said the obvious no, one. No. Well, that's... what's the obvious one then? The obvious one is um, Rock's Faith Mender. What? <laughs> is that the one that doubles all your mana? Uh, not mana. <laughs> Palantron. Is that the one that, uh, that that doubles all of your life gain? Yeah, but I was just I was just playing the obvious one. Of course, is Thrag Tusk. Oh, yes. that is the obvious one. <clears throat> the blight upon standard that. Will be now gone. Yay! Thank God. See, see, some people would say the blight upon standard just because, and I, I, I would probably agree that you had to either play it or be prepared to deal with it all the freaking time. But at the same time, its presence in standard may have allowed more archetypes to exist that may not have otherwise existed. So it'll be very. I'm very curious to see what standard looks like without it. But there's no doubt. There's no doubt that Thrag Tusk was one of the most influential cards in any core set ever, but certainly over the last year. It was basically like Green's own Titan. It was basically Green's Baneslayer Angel. Yeah, that's a little more accurate, I think. That's it about was right. such a big deal that they, even though the, it was in the core set, they kept putting it in, you know, readily available, purchasable, pre-made decks so that yeah. everyone could get their requisite two to four copies, regardless of what colors they're playing. I think that was a nod to the fact that you, like we said, you pretty much had to play yeah. it. And they even put it in the sideboard of one of them for some crazy reason. So <laughs> like, whatever, dude, <laughs> in case you play against that one deck that can exist, uh, I don't know. <laughs> In case you ever run into a situation where you want to have five more life and leave a beast token, and you know what? Just just run it. <laughs> Is there any way you can shoehorn green in there? Here, play these. Here, have perfect mana. All right, the now, what do you want? You, the only reason you wouldn't run it is if I can't come up, I can't finish that sentence. So, yeah, it's Thrag Tusk. Uh, how about the lands? The buddy lands. The lands that have existed since M10, and every year, we, somebody would say, they're gonna replace them with another cycle of, of, of dual lands, and this year we, you know, they're like, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it, and then they didn't do it, at least in the sense that there was not a cycle of dual lands at all in the core set. But now they're, they're gone. They're, they're gonna be gone from standard by the time you're, you're hearing this, and they have, um, they were, a lot of people said, oh, they weren't the best cards, but they did a very, very good job of supporting those colors. So with them gone, and uh, this, we're jumping just ahead a little bit, but the enemy colored ones were in Innistrad, so you had all ten color, all ten color combinations available. Um, those leaving is going to be, going to make an impact. I, for one, have felt like it was a little too easy to play to play multicolored. It felt almost like there was just none. You don't have the inherent drawback of trying to make your mana work that comes along with playing multicolored. So it was more just 
just play all the non-basics you can and everything will be okay. Yeah, so. I mean, I I would say that ever since um Shard's uh, Zendikar standard, perfect mana has just been a given thing. It's just something you have all the time. Uh-huh. Ever since then. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, keep... Go ahead. In Shadowmoor, since you missed what? Laura, what? <laughs> so in Shadowmoor, we we had pretty close to perfect mana too because we had I mean, all the vivid lands and the reflecting pools and all the crazy jibba jabba stuff. Yeah, there there was this card called Five Color Control. There there was this deck called Five Color Control <laughs> in Shadowmoor Standard. So you may even have to go back further than that. So. And but your yeah. vivid lands and your filter lands and your reflecting lands and all these lands and really you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah. And it was pretty awesome, but then immediately after that we got kind of tired of it. So there's the land. So I'm really curious to see how things are going to shape up over the next um, couple months. Yeah. What's something else from... Go ahead. I was just wondering if you thought maybe monocolored might be a little bit more prevalent since... The only other lands we're getting now are the Scry lands, which seem a bit better in control than it does in something that's a little bit quicker than that. Well, I mean, that's a good point. Plus, you uh, look at the factors. You, you've got the Scry lands. You've got Devotion, which says, hey, you know, multi, monocolored, the more monocolored you are, the better off you are, the more powerful these cards become. I've, I've heard rumors and a little bit of talk about uh, a mono black deck based around the gray merchant card, which is amazing in limited. If you can try and get it to work in standard, then all the more power to you. So you've got those. You've got mutavolt, which in and of itself is colorless, but a colorless man land like that actually supports mono colored a little better because you uh, it doesn't tap for mana, but you do want to be activating it as much as possible. So that actually pushes that a little bit too. So yeah, I think monocolored might be something that come that that gets a boost, but of course that has a little bit of friction with all of Return to Ravnica blocks. So we'll have to see. It's kind of like um, anytime you do have a new block come out, there's that tension, and um, you'll have to see are the cards, are the decks from the previous block so strong that the new block just kind of either at, ends up adding to that a little bit just with some niche card niche cards or does it kind of supplement it or do they blend together pretty well or how's that work out so i don't know uh what's something else from m13 other than battle of wits uh we lost a few planeswalkers yeah we lost um firebrand chandra who for the longest time i really thought was going to turn into something but it just never happened it it was combo-licious with that second ability, but that was that you know you have to have it. So yeah, I think Pyromaster is just a better card, but I'm also a little biased with that. Yeah, and then we also lost um the five Garrick. mana Garuk. Yeah, we traded and him for the bigger six, you know six mana yeah luxury model. So I, this one I don't know which one is better. The five mana one just being able to plus one up and get a three three beast is pretty strong, even though the six mana can refill your hand with creatures or drop something onto the board. I think the edge might go to the five cost just because he is so, so solid. And the ability to refill your hand with his minus ability to just draw that many cards. You know, that with with no other conditions other than just having a big guy. Having I, that Thrag Tusk you wanted. <laughs> having that Thrag Tusk. 
Oh, you're only going to talk about Thrag Tusk a lot more, but um, I think I think he his loss is is some somewhat substantial. Uh, no, Nicol Bolas, the first ever gold card in a corset. Yeah. Vroom. That's Nicol Bolas <laughs> yawning, guys. It really is. <laughs> we're we're oh, boring I, I, him, I, so he's just revving up. I, th- I thought he was, you know, getting ready to get on Highway 99. You know, just screw y'all, I'm going home. Yeah. We're losing Thundermaw. We are. As, as, Holy crap! I didn't even remember that. That matters. Thundermaw was one of those where, when they previewed it, people said, "Oh my god, that's going to shut down all the token decks." Like, um, yeah, the 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 flyers, and we're going to talk a little bit about that when we get to Innistrad. But um, uh, and then it seemed to take a little while to really catch on. I don't know whether it's just because people were enamored with Thragtusk or what, and I do find it. I, I do want to say I am glad that Thrag Tusk was a rare instead of a mythic. I think that was a good thing. Yeah. So, but uh, Thundermaw, yeah. I mean, when it caught on, it caught on like nobody's business, and it's just been a top tier card ever since. Yeah, I wonder if the fact that it's a that it was a dragon that cost five might have put some people off of it. I I don't know if that would just no. Actually, um, I was thinking the same thing. I think in, a lot of people instinctively strike people as oh, it's a dragon that cost five. This is for mm-hmm. stupid. But I think a lot of people just looked at it and they're like, oh, yeah, it's the obligatory dragon. And they didn't really think about how it's actually just the best lava axe ever printed. And they might, and, and they may have said, oh, look, it's a lava axe. And yeah. you never feel great about playing the lava axe, even when you're dying to it. <laughs> Although he did see a lot of play. I mean, uh, yeah. when they eventually figured him out, I mean, not just for his normal show up, get in for five, but for a little while we had him gaining death touch and just killing all their flyers. We had the fun of, you know, dropping him and then dropping another one the next turn and just netting 15 damage right there. Mm-hmm. It was just pretty sick. Okay. Awesome dragon. Awesome dragon is awesome. We're losing, thinking about how, how I can cover as many cards at once as possible, we're losing the cycle of legendary creatures, mono-colored le- legendary creatures, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I think Talarand was the one that had the most potential in Constructed, but certainly all of them see play... Um, in all sorts of formats, I've heard about a million Krenko EDH decks and Yevasi's play, so Krenko any one of these. card in Modern and sometimes Legacy Goblins. Yep. Oh yeah, Clues loves him in Legacy Goblins. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are going away. There are some cards in M13 that I look at and I'm just like, what happened? I didn't even know this card was in this set and no one played it. Like, like what? Uh, like Vampire Nocturnus was an M13 and nothing happened. I think it probably was big for a minute. Probably, I must, have, I must have had my eyes closed for that minute. <laughs> I, I, I think it's because you had the expectation of when he was big in uh, the standard block that also included Zendikar. He was huge, and you might and you look at other things, and I think that goes to show you. In this set, we had Vampire Nocturnus. We also had Vampire Nighthawk, which, in case you haven't been listening to the previews lately, I've pointed about how Vampire Nighthawk is so unfair, they literally made it more expensive and dropped the toughness and split it into two completely different creatures, each one with half of a Vampire Nighthawk, and made them both uncommon. So he is so ridiculous. And you even have the two of them together, and and Vampire still wasn't... A deck, and I think that goes to show you how strong, in particular, uh, 
the blood ghast was I think that was the real linchpin just yep. the fact that they couldn't kill it yep. and the, and I'll say the the gatekeeper of Malakir just yeah. for the get a guy built-in removal so much temples tempo so much value um that that's why so I think you were I think you probably didn't notice it because it's if anything its impact was so much bigger the first time around you it would have had to do very well for you to have noticed it again, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot that Sphinx, Sphinx, Sphinx of Othun was in this. Of course, it had been printed before. It's the fact or fiction Sphinx. And now I'm going to miss out on, um, I play Steam Augury and I show you two Sphinxes of Othun in there and you're like, so many decisions. <laughs> Tip. You will make the wrong one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Sphinx of Thune was actually one of the first Sphinxes I was like, um, or that I built my Sphinx's Riddle EDH deck around. The whole concept of using riddles as in making yeah. your opponent choose something. And some of the Sphinxes are really good at representing that. And I think he's one of the better ones because Factor Fiction literally is a riddle. And then some of the Sphinxes just seem to be big, beefy flyers. Riddle me this. Pow. So, I like this one. I really liked the Sleeping Dragon, and I'm still gonna play the heck out of it in all sorts of, uh, casual formats, because it's so cool and so flavorful. I never got that to wake up in Limited. I kept trying, though. It's, it's because it's, I mean, you have to see it coming five miles ahead. Yeah. If you wanna get tricksy with it, combine with, uh, Bident of, what's her name? Yeah. Oh, of Nalia. <laughs> I don't want to attack. <laughs> so, getting back to things that actually mattered in Standard. Aww. Uh, Disciple of Bolas is going away. Yes. Mm. I so is the Augur. So, and so is the, so is the what? The Augur. The Augur of Bolas. Oh, I think Augur of Bolas, right, right, right. The Augur was arguably the more important of the two. Yeah, but I'm in which decks you were looking at. Like, they both, like, the blue decks got a lot of use out of the Augur and, the Disciple's the black one, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that one actually showed up a fair bit later on. Because yeah, black-green decks love him. The red one, the... Um, the the Mind Claw Shaman. <laughs> yeah, he was so good, but he didn't see a lot of play. But every time somebody would play one against me, I'd be like, oh, no! Hmm. Oh, here's one for Mike. Mutilate. I thought that's, I, I thought that's the, the one you were going to say. Yep, mutilate. That makes me sad. There is, the, there is the whole exalted theme. And I think that it's, we sum it up pretty well with Cathedral of War as being such an awesome card because it's a land and it's got a built-in ability and it still taps for mana. That's, the Cathedral didn't last very long. I think the, that, uh, the Black Knight, um, the Knight of Infamy ended up yeah. being important. That, that's because every black deck that could play him played him because it's a Black Knight that can get bigger. So, kind of. Yeah. Similarly with the Exalted, the Sublime Archangel showed up once in a while, but it never really entrenched itself like you'd expected it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I ended up putting a few into one of my, um, in my like normal rampy deck later in the format, and it was one of those things where when you'd play it, someone would go, wait, that existed? And like, yeah, and you're like, wait, why are you so, oh, you, you just hit me for <laughs> eight with your mana dork, didn't you? I'm like, little bit. <laughs> little bit. Um, Mike is vindicated. Uh, Hellion cr- Crucible never did anything, much <laughs> like Mike thought it wouldn't. Because it's just not good. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, Ground Seal actually saw some play in some sideboards thanks to basically, well, Innistrad block. Innistrad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there were some Jund decks that were literally main decking a copy or two so much just thanks to Unburial Rights and um, Snapcaster Mage, two names we're going to talk about again. Uh, I don't really, in the interest yeah, of I moving on. we're kind of scraping at M13 yeah. now. Yeah. Well, uh, we, not yet, we're not. I have uh, acidic slime. Acidic slime will not will not is not an M14. So yeah, so acidic slime is is pretty big. That's pretty big. I ended and up hating that card. Farseek is huge. Yeah, there's not a rampant growth now. There's is it O-ring little, leaving? O-ring is gone. Oh, we have really? changed the rocks though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is not the same as O-ring. I know. I just <laughs> we have actually... deten- we have detention sphere now. So that's the more. What there was that, actually, JT? Yeah, there are three that I want to bring up real quick. Um, first is Captain the Watch, because yes. Captain the Watch, A, obviously, like I've already mentioned, I love it with Deadeye Navigator, but B, um, it seems like it'd be so good with Theros Block with all the soldiers that um, you're making, like the Hoplites or the Hoplites and things like that. So I'm really sad that's going away. Um, the second one that I wanted to mention is just... As much as everyone thinks Deadeye Navigator is my favorite card, it's not. My favorite card in this format is actually Redirect. Because so far in Standard, I have redirected three Bonfire of the Dams, and I've also countered a Counterflux with it. It is by far my favorite card to play if you're playing Blue. It's the best counterspell ever, and it just, like I said, I've redirected three Bonfires. It's a total blowout when that happens. Choose new targets. It's all the targets. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh. <laughs> I love yeah. that growl of recognition there. Oh. That was a that was an oh my god that card does a lot more than I thought it did sort of thing. Okay, and what's then the, what's the, the, the very one? last one is we're losing the cycle of creatures that cared about um allied colored lands, meaning we're also losing Flinthook Four, which is yeah. big in the red green aggro. Well, that that was that was the one of that cycle that really did anything. Yeah, so. he was the one who made it big. Yeah. He made it to Hollywood. He he followed his dream. It's baby. Uh, Monwolvi Beast Tracker. I'm mispronouncing that, but I th- he was one where I was like, oh, he's gonna be he's gonna be big too, and it just didn't it just didn't do anything. So, but once again, if like we're not double green, made him kind of useless. But since and what we are talking about the context of standard because these are the ones that are leaving. I also like to use these episodes as a reminder of hey, here are things that you haven't seen in a year to two years. They are, some of them are still awesome. And like this guy, you know, in a EDH deck may be pretty sweet. So if you want to set stuff up, cause it, it has lots and lots of targets. So, uh, anything else before bye bye murder? No one cares. Just anything a, else? Just a passing mention of staff of men was pretty awesome till the end. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate. It will be missed. Yeah. Even though, um, Omniscience didn't really do anything in standard. I do feel proud for calling uh, Omnitel way it's, back when oh, we first saw yeah. it. Oh, it, yeah, and and that is a real deck in Legacy, and will continue to be forever and ever. Amen. So until they print the, uh, I, I don't know, a, a one cost card that says counter all all cards named Omniscience that would enter the battlefield or something. I don't know. I don't know how Never you hold that. <laughs> Sweet. So. I don't think we should go each set. Just, just look no, at all just, of them. Just the block. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Innistrad was full of stuff that cared about the graveyard. We're going to start with um, 
Snapcaster Mage because until we talk about Snapcaster Mage, nothing else matters. Yeah, and there will um, be people yelling at their iPods saying, Snapcaster Mage! Yeah. Which is that all well fun. and good, but they might be driving. I got so a Somberwald Sage, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> I, I got I got a couple copies of Snapcaster Mage fairly early, and I ended up trading them because I was questioning whether they were going to take off or anything. I knew that they were good. The question, and, and I don't think anyone doubted that they were good. The question was just how good. And I got a decent value for them at the time, and uh, I don't feel too bad about that now. But Stupid. without it. But without a doubt, Snapcaster Mage never went away. Delver of Secrets was a big thing for a year and then was not seen again. But with well, without, it was, it was seen again. It just it was, wasn't. It was not the pinnacle. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't everywhere again. It, yeah. it was not. But for a while there, it was everywhere. It really missed Ponder a lot. But yeah. Yeah, but but with or without Delver, Snapcaster Mage remained the go-to. For any decks that were playing blue or splashing blue, or I mean, there were times where you played it and flashed back a wrath and killed him back immediately. It didn't matter. There were times where you flashed him back, got him and flashed back something like a Sphinx's Revelation and just went nuts. There were times when you flashed him in as a two-one blocker. I was just it, about to say that, yeah. And it was still. There were times when he was so a combat good. trick. <laughs> yeah. In blue. Yeah, it's really fun to just chuck him under the bus and then tragic slip the next guy who wasn't even involved in the fight. Yeah. And hey, there were times when you just flashed him out because your opponent didn't have anything going on and you attacked with him ten times. Yeah, you poked for two. Yeah. There you go. Toss that boy a sword. (laughs) So, Snapcaster Mage. Okay. So what else was there? Lots and lots of other things, but... Just, like, I sorted mine by rarity. Just looking at the mythics, holy god, dude. Like on the like the first one I saw, there's actually two next to each other. There's bonfire, which, uh, which is huge. Yeah. And then and it <laughs> quite do. And then craterhoof behemoth, which is the centerpiece of a whole deck. Yeah, I love craterhoof because once again, it's one of those cards where it came out. Everybody said, "Oh look, it's a cute Timmy card," and it costs eight. And da da da. And then people started playing it, and they're like, "Oh my god, this card says." You win the game. That's literally what it says. So you start putting it into shells like Reanimator, and no matter what they do about it, it's always going to get onto the battlefield. But you could also there was a this was a format where you could hard cast this stuff. When you're casting stuff like Angel of Serenity, you can get there with a Crater Hook Behemoth and just win. Do we want? You mentioned the the bonfire. Do we want to talk about Miracle just in general? Yeah, all the miracles. Oh no, it's no more miracles. And treat the angels was really big for for a door slam. A couple, a couple of minutes, <laughs> um, like a pro tour, I guess. <laughs> what what was the time one? Um, temporal mastery. Temporal mastery. Of course, everybody was like, "Oh, it's it's going to be you know heat big and huge." And I don't I don't know if it sees play in any formats. Oh, I don't. I don't follow the eternal ones to a certain the extent. Only time I remember it mattering was when the the miracle heavy um wolf run blue deck happened okay because getting all those extra turns and all that extra bonfire and all those extra titans was enough to just kill someone right yeah but since then it really i mean it yeah, certainly it hasn't, hasn't, sense. It hasn't broken the game or done anything like that whereas terminus is probably the number 2 behind bonfire oh easily yeah 
just for the ability to go. I mean, and it, you didn't feel bad paying six for this at all, just at all. And then every now and then paying one for it is just wrong. It's just wrong. You shouldn't do that. It's bad. It's bad. I mean, it's good. It's bad. For, you know what I mean? But I didn't nothing, realize. I didn't realize how good tuck effects were until um, Terminus came out. But if we're being honest, nothing really comes close to Bonfire. I remember the very episode where we previewed some of these miracle cards, and I said I wasn't that impressed by Bonfire. And everybody else said, what? And honestly, when I read it for the first time, I just said, my mind skipped ahead, and I said, oh, I know what this does. Because you'll do that during previews. You'll start reading it, and you're like, oh, this is this classic effect. Uh, with this set's theme or twist, like it's gonna have scry or whatever on it, and I said, oh, it's the red spell, and it's the red X spell, and it's got miracle, and I didn't understand why this was the, the mythic, and the wheel of fortune effect was the rare, I really thought that should have been switched. Did you but think bonfire was like an earthquake or something? I thought it was a fireball. Oh. Possibly. That's different. Yeah. Possibly an earthquake. Um, and, and maybe part of me was also the Johnny Tastic, like, oh, it's just a burn spell. But no, it's the burn spell that burninates everything, including things like Geist that you can't even target, which turned out to be so big. We'll get to Geist in a second. So Bonfire, huge. And it was one of those things where it would disappear for a little while, and then people would feel safe again, and then everybody else would start playing it again. Bonfire <laughs> is pretty much what killed tokens. Um, people can blame it on other stuff, but, you know, all this like, oh, well, there's Ratchet Bomb. Well, we played tokens while there was Ratchet Bomb. But once pretty much every deck that had a mountain in it or some stand-in for a mountain could just go Bonfire for one, wipe them, mm-hmm. you were done. Like, it's it was a card that was good in every deck anyway, and then they could just situationally destroy you. Yeah. So things that don't have Miracle... Brian mentioned Geist of St. Traff. That's a huge card. Yeah. He, he went in and out of favor several times, but he never completely disappeared. No. He never completely went away, because they, even without any sort of pump, the ability to just go get in there for six, and if you answer him, you're not necessarily answering the angel, is pretty big. And answering um, him is sort of a pain, because he's all hex-proofy. Yeah. Hex, hex-proof in general, but... On a three-cast creature that can then get in there, it's just... Mm. What is the blue aura that gives plus two, plus two, and flying? Spectral Flight. Spectral Flight, which, once again, when I when we preview it, I'm like, this just feels wrong that blue gets something this efficient. And I thought it was pretty good, but I mostly figured, okay, this is going to wreck some people unlimited. But it turns out when you put one on a Geist, Geist goes from being really good to just flat out crazy because now you can't even block it so you might as well just scoop now literally yeah literally in a similar vein um a card that i know we all knew was good when we first looked at it but ended up completely blowing the doors off of all of our expectations was olivia voldaren i think i thought that's where you were going dong i was (laughs) I was going to say that I really didn't respect it as much as I should have at first. I thought it's a good creature. Yeah. I did I did not think it was going to see as much play as it did. <laughs> it is arguably one of the best four drops in the format, which 
four is like four is one of the it seems like that one of the best spots. You always see things competing for slots at four, and this just takes over everything. You just resolve it and say go, and they're like, I can't kill it. I guess I'm gonna lose all my guys, or they're gonna nah, nah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. You talked about Geist, and now Olivia. Some of the really best gold creatures in standard are not from Return to Ravnica block. Nope. <laughs> Huntmaster of the Fells. Huntmaster of the Fells. All these gold cards. None of them are in my pool. Um, Huntmaster. What else do you say about it other than it's the best werewolf? Yeah. It's a planeswalker that I can't attack. Should have been legendary. No. <laughs> no. Too many rules problems. Too many words. <laughs> Too there, many there, there was every now and then a werewolf deck would pop up for like a second, and it, you know, it has the problem that every other creature-based deck does, which is this: just that you're a little too reliant on getting out guys and protecting them. And but with him, you just played him. You didn't care that he was a werewolf or whatever. You just played him. You gained some life. You got some tokens, and you flip him, and you deal some damage. It's just. I I played uh, in an FNM a couple weeks ago, and there was literally one game where I had mine flip two and back forth at least like did two or th- maybe three full rotations to a werewolf back to a werewolf back, and it's just crazy. But that leads us into double faced cards. They were so. I want to say controversial when they came out, and that's because a, a lot of people were really up in arms. You'd be right to say controversial. Hey, and now, then, let, let's not, you know, minimize the death of magic. I mean, it did happen. And, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, that, yeah. That was a pain. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. How many double face cards mattered in Standard other than the Huntmaster of the Fills and yeah, Delver exactly. of Secrets? Um, Garrick? I think. Oh, Garrick, and Garrick. Garrick, Garrick. Garrick mattered. That, yes, so the mythic rare ones and, well, and an uncommon. Common. Uh, common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Delver is definitely common, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, but, if, you, if you know the story of Delver, they were going to make it flip on something else, and they quote-unquote weakened it by changing it to reveal, if you reveal an instant or sorcery, because they thought that wouldn't be as good. Or <laughs> originally flip it on your upkeep? No, no. It, 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 so it, that's it, what they turned it into. You, you had to... <laughs> yeah. You had to reveal, I think, a creature card was what it was going to be originally. And they're like, uh, that seems too good. Maybe they were thinking about limited, I'm not sure. But they changed it thinking it would be worse. Hey, I like how Mark Rosewater keeps talking about how he didn't see it coming. He's like, I just wanted to make the fly, guys. And we're like, well, you made it. Congratulations. <laughs> it's the fly. It's a human, but, which mattered for a while. No, there, there, there are lots of really oh. cool... Bill uh, mentioned human. Uh, the mayor was an important double face card. Oh, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's true. true. When, when, when there were human, it's interesting. He actually saw more play in dedicated human decks than werewolf ones. So there I, were no werewolf decks. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of funny when you think about it. But if you're thinking about the double face cards just in general, I do think those are the ones that saw the most play. But in general, these were a lot of very flavorful, very cool cards. And I have to say, if if we're looking back and we're questioning, was it the right thing for them to do this? And I would say absolutely. They broke some new ground with it, but I think it paid off big time. Do it again. I mean, um, another big thing was Curses. 
And there's pretty much one curse that saw competitive play, and that was the Black Rare curse. Uh, the curse of... There was another one. Death's Death Hold. Curse of Death's Hold. What was the other one that saw play? The one that pains people. The, the stupid one that no one would ever play that saw more play here lately than any of the others. Curse I can't remember the, the, the bleeding heart or curse something. Curse of the Pierced Heart. Pierced Heart. Pierced Heart, yeah. Really? Really? It's, it's a big sideboard card uh, for aggressive decks to just have just, that inevitability against control. Okay. okay. Well, the only reason go. I know this is because uh, I think it was Schofield had to explain it to me, and I listened yeah. to he talks. I, I guess I guess in the right game it turns into Searing Spear Plus, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's cool. And then some of these others, again, just if we're thinking outside of, sta- uh, of standard or competitive play, there's some really cool ones out there. So Curse of Stock Prey was going to do something, and it never did anything. <laughs> We're listening to for, yeah, we're listening, losing, I cannot talk. We're losing some planeswalkers too. Yes. I bought some Soren's Lord of Innistrad says, says, uh, when they were still pretty high because I was going to play a black white uh, token deck at a tournament. I think a Star City Open and they just had to go in and I also thought it was one of the best planeswalkers ever. And it was one of those ones where there was a hype for it, and then it kind of died down just because the tokens decks weren't doing as well as the Delver decks. Go figure. But he saw he saw fairly consistent play mm-hmm. in various decks the whole time he was in standard. So I thought he was really good, and he was always one of my pet cards. I'm actually looking at oh okay now I'm staring at a copy of him right now. Now I close the binder. Now I'm looking at him again. What's another, plane to walk? What's another planeswalker? Tibble. 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 <laughs> Tibble is technically a planeswalker we're losing. <laughs> you, there, there was a really, really brief mention of playing him in a possibility storm deck where you're like, pay two, turn my Tibble into anything but a Tibble. <laughs> a better planeswalker. <laughs> you get so upset you hit another Tibble, you just start swearing. Yeah. But you want, but you played a Tibble. You wanted a Tibble, right? No. <laughs> uh, Tomio, Mike played the heck out of some Tomio. Tomio was awesome. Tomio was awesome. I don't care what other people say. Tomio was awesome. Well, you know my opinion. I mean, she's on the wall looking at me right now, so. Yeah, and that's badass, by the way. Let me just I, I'm a big fan. Uh, re- repeat that. And I have, I have to love her just because of my love for the mood folk, so. And she was actually good, too, which was yes. nice. Like, for a little while last year, Tomio and Architect of Thought Jace were just like, you know, back to back. We are shutting down whatever your game plan is. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally like that, that was, that was the combo. Yeah. I, I have not hit the, I have not hit the limit break ability of any planeswalker as often and as consistently as I, as I did with Tomio. And it was so fun when you did. You it mean was... she's easy to hit? <laughs> <laughs> You leave that bunny alone, sir. Stank-ass ho- I mean, uh, speaking of stank-ass hoses, Liliana of the Veil is going away, too. I was just about to say. <laughs> just okay. as a legend rule changed to make her even better. Yeah, quick, let's get rid of her. She, I mean, uh, three mana planeswalkers, like J- the original Jace and Liliana, I think think was the very next one at three. I'm pretty sure they all start at four or above. And now we've got um, Ashiok very recently, but we've also had Domri, and Domri is definitely proving his his stripes. He is he is a, 
a really good card. So Liliana being at three, with that, just play her, minus her down. The fact that she then, you know, she starts out with more than two loyalty is just, you have to start thinking, are they going to play their Liliana on turn three? And how do I get around that? She kills Geist of St. Draft, which we just got through saying was impossible to get rid of. So, Yeah, and hopefully you haven't done it already, but don't get uh, too excited to go out and dump your Lilianas now that she's rotated because she people will be playing her forever. Yeah, she she's plays in older in eternal I mean, she formats. was already good, but the ability to play one, and then when she goes down to one next turn, you know, discard your opponent, play another one, eat their guy, you've left them with practically nothing. Yeah, yeah. And it's just disgusting that you can do that now. So she's leaving standard, but she's not leaving our hearts. Because she owns Because she's got a knife in them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know who else is going away? Who's that? That bitch. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who saw play as a one-of here or there until they realized there were better things to throw in. But yeah, Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight. Awesome. <laughs> okay, you're gonna really think this is funny. I, oh, that's right. Okay, I was like, which one is? It? Oh yeah, the angels. Yeah, we're losing well, Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I thought uh, that the um, white green one with hexproof that can't be sacrificed. Sigarda really should have taken off, but mm-hmm. she was sort of lost in the pack of the fact that the strategy for hexproof was play a unblockable two drop or a three drop that comes with an angel and just don't run any more creatures in that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really sad. Like I got a bunch of them at the end of that format cause I thought they were going to go somewhere and they just didn't. Yeah. Uh, me too. I, well, I, I played a, um, a, a Bant hex proof type deck for a while and you're right. It was just never the right play. Like, uh, a couple turn times five, it, you're winning. You're not bothering if, with this. If you manage to play one, or at least in my experience, I remember one game where I resolved one and still lost, and that's it. But, I mean, think about um, all the tokens decks that can just stall her out forever. They just block all the time. And uh, Moreland Haunt is a thing, and that literally means I block your guy. I now get a token to block your guy again. So, uh, segue... There were some lands in Innistrad block. There was one for each two-color combination, which means there were ten. A lot of them were very good. Our minds probably immediately go to two, maybe three, but all of them were pretty good. There were one or two that were a little eh. Poor green yeah. black one, but all the rest were the green black one and the black red one. Yeah, Ugh. and and those are not. Terrible. I'm not saying everybody that's going, what? The blood hole is awesome. Stancia like blood hole is terrible. It's pretty no, terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. I'm agreeing on this one. I, I have used it online in some just, Weirdo. I had a red black deck that was literally just all the removal I could stuff in there and some curses, like the curse of pierced heart and the blood hole. Was <laughs> like, that's probably why you needed the blood hole. Yeah. You know, so, that, like vampire and, and nighthawk, right? I know. <clears throat> but so, um, Kessick Wolf Run. I mean, it's so iconic. It's in From the Vault 20, so it's Kessick Wolf Run. I mean, it, decks that had it in it were named Wolf Run something yes. decks. There was literally a deck called Bant Wolf Run. But the Wolf Run is, and this was a pro tour level deck. I think Melissa DeToro ran it, and 
Wolf Run requires green and red, and the bank colors are green, white, and blue. You're really, what does it tell you that that's what's going on here? That, if people are using that land in those colors, that's strong. That land that, that does not tap for colors. Yeah. 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 It's just that good. Um, and then probably it was the next- in my cough deck. That's how good it was. Yeah. <laughs> there you, there you go. Yeah, and it then, was um, the Insta Beat Stick that was the Primeval Titan deck. So. And then, yeah, that plus Ink Moth Nexus was, and you're gonna lose. Cause giving things with Infect Trample is just wrong. Not to mention the power boost. Not yeah. to mention the power boost, but even just giving it Trample is just... Uh, and then Moreland Haunt, just the ability to go, there were literally games, control matches, where it was just, who could get out more tokens faster? Who drew the Moreland Haunt to turn all of their stuff that had died to all these wrath effects into tokens? Yep. Yep. It was, uh, the freaking Nefalia Drown Yard was just oh. a, a long term, hey look, I'm gonna win if you just don't do anything. What does it, <laughs> what does it tell you that Ashiok, the Nightmare Weaver, is being called the new Nephelia Drownyard. You know, that's that's the name for it now. Next next format will be like, what's the next Nephelia Drownyard? That's gonna be sad. That planeswalker's gonna have so many issues. It's like I'm not a land. Why did you call me? I'm a planeswalker. <laughs> I'm a my favorite. My favorite Nephelia Drownyard moment was also a Tamio moment because I I had her emblem and I was using the Drownyard to desperately dig. You know, it, you know, draw extra cards to try to find a kill spell, <laughs> <laughs> which I was able to play on the fourth turn of turns. Tap, draw three cards. Yeah. Yep. Um, the Stencia Blood Hall was not that great, but oh. then the last, but then the last one in Istrad. In case you thought, oh, it's not that great either. It was Gavany Township. Yeah. Gavany Township yeah. did some work. The it was the Mirror Breaker. It was the, well, it wasn't even, I mean, yes, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it was also the break the opponent's head in half breaker, too. Yeah. Vault of the Archangel, which came in uh, the next set, also did that. Yeah. A well-timed vault activation could completely destroy everything that everybody yeah. had ever loved, ever, in the history of ever. You you think you've got the board <laughs> under control, they've got some guys, and then they lay down a vault and just swing, and you're like... There are no right decisions here. There just aren't. <laughs> Not a damn one. Yeah, yeah, it literally does turn the game around. Yeah. Because now suddenly you've got nothing and your opponent is at a very comfortable life total. Yeah, the longest round of Magic I've ever played in a tournament lasted so long because of um, dueling Vault of the Archangels. Because each person set up like the right evasion thing where every single turn it's like hits you for like eight, gain eight. Well, it hit you back for like nine and gained nine and it just went forever. And because uh-huh. it was the top eight of a game day, they weren't on the clock. So one of us had to eventually beat the other one. And it, I think the entire tournament lasted like an extra 90 minutes because we were stuck in this stupid match. <laughs> it was wow. ridiculous because there's no clock and we were just slowly trying, like we almost decked and this is time- 60 cards. How many times have I told you not to play eggs? Oh man, Come if it was on, eggs, man. I would have felt sufficiently bad, but no, this is my token deck. It was just crazy. Um, the green black one was second Ooh. guy to what draw a card. What yeah. was didn't really see anything. The red 
green, the red blue one was oh, pitch, Alchemist pitch, Refuge. Alchemist, yeah, draw a card, well, pitch a card. No, the green desperate, uh, the you guys think of the loot house, desperate yeah, lighthouse. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Alchemist Refuge was the green blue one, which was your next non-land card, or you you can cast well, non-land cards turn. this turn as yeah. though they had flash, which I think did see some play in, in a, a couple fringe decks. Yeah. Uh, what are we forgetting? Uh, obviously, I think the Slayer, Innistrad- the Slayer stronghold. Oh yeah, I think we should the, see some play. The Innistrad ones were a lot stronger than the Dark Ascension ones. Just looking at it, but um, I mean, all of them were pretty good. All of them will still continue to see some play somewhere somehow. Oh wait, we missed a land. What's that? Avern of Souls. <laughs> we did in fact miss a land. <laughs> Way to warp a format. That man. counts. <laughs> I don't think it really warped anything. Once it was just like double face cards, just like I don't know how many of the cards we've even talked about, like miracle cards, it didn't break the game. Everybody, oh, you can't play control anymore. Lots of people played control. They just didn't necessarily play counter spells, or they didn't play four of all of them. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's what I mean. Like it, it didn't like completely change the format and always possible, but it changed the face of control. But I and and than it probably should have. Cavern of Souls set to either Vampire to get you things like Olivia or the Falconrath Aristocrat. Um, who's also going away. Who's also going away. And it's nice because then it also gives your almost mono-black deck some mana fixing. Or set to Beast were the two most terrifying ones. For a while there, you could set to Humans. And that, again, it did the mana fixing thing there, too. But set... Zombies back in the day myself. With the Kamikaze deck. Yeah. Blood yeah. Artist is going away. So Gravecrawler. Gravecrawler's going away. Yeah, the Geralt's Messenger is going away. That whole shell is just going away. I'm yeah. not going to miss Geralt's Messenger at all. That was miserable. <laughs> that it was absolutely a, miserable to play against. The first one isn't so bad until they then play the second one, and then you're like, there's just nothing I can do. There's just nothing. So... The math gets out of hand way too fast. Laboratory Maniac is going away, but will oh. never, ever, ever leave the casual scene forever. Uh, can we take a vote now to ban Laboratory Maniac from our casual group? No. <laughs> I mean, you I... can vote. <laughs> I'm not going to vote. It hasn't well, then I will yet. vote not to ban it. Ha! I'm not in that district. I can't vote there. Dang it, man. So, uh, there, there was no one more, other... Huh? I was just going to mention homicidal seclusion. Mike? He's going to kill you, Mike. You're sitting there by yourself threatening to kill people. Come on, man. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I didn't really do anything with homicidal seclusion until the very end. Yeah. But I really, really, really liked activating one in plate mail yeah. with homicidal seclusion up. I really, really enjoyed That's it. That's awesome. What were you going to say, Bill? Oh, I was going to segue into what I thought was probably one of the other most iconic cards in the format while we were still floating in Abyssin Country, and that was the Restoration Angel. Yes. Which mm. pretty much created entire archetypes. I think it was the real reason Thraktusk was so good. I I think Thraktusk would still see play. Oh, because it would see play, but it would not have dominated nearly as much if it didn't represent potentially prob- you know, 10 or 15 life. Well, I think... It also made Snapcaster more ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. I think it... it Makes every, almost every good creature even better. Every creature with a good interest the battlefield effect. Snapcaster, 
Thrag Tusk obviously come to mind. Uh, Blade but Slicer. <laughs> was was uh, seeing was seeing a little play for a while. Holy so. crap! Yeah, I forgot all about the Blade Splicer. The Blade Splicer with Restoration yeah. Angel was sick. Blade Splicer with Restoration Angel just made me want to die. <laughs> and you did. did and you, I did. Yeah. So uh, so did, I was happy. Where did Blade Splicer go? I kind of forgot about it. It rotated. Rotated. It rotated with oh. the rest of Scar's block. <laughs> See, see, this is why I'm bad at this game. <laughs> it was there right up until rotation, though. Yeah. It was one of the, well, they just went so hand in hand. I'm like, oh, I see Restoration Angel. Where's the Blade Splicer? Oh. It's an M14, remember, duh. <laughs> so, so Restoration Angel. I wouldn't be surprised if the Splicers came back in a corset. That'd be interesting. It would make sense. Most of them are perfectly fair. The Blade Splicer was just pushed for three mana. Um, Heartless Summoning was such a cool, fun card that would actually spawn some archetypes from now and then. Yeah, they kept coming back over and over again. Yeah, I think it was really strong when you had a lot of the colorless things, like, you know, from Scars of, of Mirrodin, like Worm Coil Engine, and like Solemn Simulacrum, doing those sort of things for literally two less... Not just what if, but what if it costs two less, but literally two less. The minus one, minus one did not matter at all. Yeah. It did really um, good work with the Uber mirror too, because then you just got an Uber mirror and you got around that whole caveat of having to pay two mm-hmm. off of creatures to cast it. You just are like, oh, here's my giant, you know, mirror superior. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. And you would still see, um, like a, a demon deck pop up every now and again with heartless summoning, like, Oh darn! My Runescar Demon is a five-five. Mm. Oh, oh darn! That sucks. <laughs> we cannot. We cannot leave Innistrad. Wait a minute. What kind? What kind of uh, deck was that, Mike? Yes. Yes. What? Yes. Oh no! Yes. <laughs> we my cannot leave Innistrad <laughs> without talking about our favorite Mad Lib character ever. He's been a professor, and he's been a hero, and he's been a scientist, and he might have been a teacher at one point. <laughs> He is... Mike's turn. (laughs) (laughs) What what happens if a gristle brain is holding a bone saw? (laughs) That's a swing for eight. (laughs) And then you play a doom. So... So, so Brand is banned in EDH, and probably rightly so. Hey, everybody, I just threw 35 cards. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Lame. But he's he's freaking awesome, and he's a 7-7 with flying and lifelink with a necropotence ability kicked in. And yes, you can't break it down into individual cards, but who cares? It's literally draw seven cards. So... He's big and silly and iconic, and we will miss him. And he will miss his hands because he yeah. never has them. I I enjoyed. Do you guys watch the um the movies from Loading Ready Run that they do for Magic? I think some of Yeah, the um the um Friday nights. Friday nights. There was one where uh, they went to they went to a Grand Prix in Canada, and um one of them faced off against a deck that somebody had played a turn one. Uh, Shadowborn Apostle, turn two, two Shadowborn Apostles, turn three, three more Shadowborn Apostles, at the end of your turn, sack them all for a gristle brand. And can that happen in real life? No, but it's just kind of funny to think about it. So I got one. What you got? Anyone want to take a guess? Ooh, ooh, um, Arcane Melee. There you go. 
definitely want to make all my spells cost two less. I think it's something with champion. Yeah. Yeah. No, heroic, heroic. No, wait. Damn. Monstrous? Monstrous. No, hang on. Morbid. 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 That's what it was. You're getting close. It does have a mechanic that is rotating out with everything else. (laughs) It is Dead Eye Navigator. What? I never would have guessed, as if that's the reason I brought you on this episode. (laughs) Yep. So, obviously, like I've been saying this whole time, Dead Eye Navigator has been one of my favorite cards ever since it came out. It has been the focus of my standard deck for the past two years. I've had a blue-white uh, Dead Eye Navigator deck with things like um, Cathedral Sanctifier to gain you three life every time it comes into play, uh, Detain Creatures, things like Angel of Serenity to blink all of my opponent's stuff into oblivion. Dead Eye Navigator is by far the one card I'm going to miss the most because I'm losing my entire deck because it's built completely around him. If you like Restoration Angel, you like Dead Eye Navigator. Oh, yes. Whether you know it or not. And you should, because it's awesome. I just want let, to... Let's have a little moment of silence for my secondly dead friend. Oh. Well, that was truncated. Um, yeah, I was about and, to say. <laughs> and if you like Dead Eye Navigator, you might remember Conjurer's Closet. Because not very the same potential. Similar. Very similar. You could do Dead Eye Navigator more than once a turn, but if you're just looking for that effect, Conjurer's Closet fits the bill perfectly. It fits also the rotating. bill perfectly. Well, I mean, I, I do wear it around the house so no one's around, but. Were there any other soul bomb creatures that really did anything? The, the giant. Greek and Silverheart. The yeah. Silverheart yeah. Was, had that great sort of like, whoop, I'm gonna kill you now effect. Um, Silverblade Paladin. Silverblade also a big one. I think I think that one was a step above. I don't know if any of the others really got any sort of crazy play. I had a lot of fun with the Silverblade Paladin and the Geist Angel. Um, yeah, because that's just yeah. funny. I loved making that play when I when I played that. Um, it's really oh. it's really great because you play the the Geist on turn three, and then on turn four you play the Silverblade, and you don't say anything, so they think you just missed your trigger. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, attack, put in the angel, pair with the angel. They're like, what? I'm like, you're <laughs> going to take eight minimum? <laughs> or would you like that four first strike up there? I don't care if it trades. Something's dying. <laughs> Good times. I really liked Evil Twin. And I played a lot. I actually, when I had a uh, a Solar Flare deck online, we using things like Unburial Rites, which we haven't mentioned yet. I actually ran a couple copies of Evil Twin because they they would have their big guy. Either I would have a big guy and I'd make more copies of it, or they'd have a big guy and I would make a twin of it. And even online, where you literally all you have to do is hover your cursor over, people seem to forget about that whole. I can pay a blue and a black and tap it to kill your copy sort of thing. And it literally, it was so great and so flavorful. Hey, you're the one with the goatee, so you're the bad one. And it's now awesome. that they've changed the rules, you can actually properly twin and murder a legendary creature, so it's even better. That's true. I didn't even think about that. It doesn't just show up and die now. It actually gets a chance to stab them in the back and take their place. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Your life pretty is pretty messed up, life. yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, Unburial Rites. Speaking of Levin, oh, yeah, go ahead and talk about Unburial Rites. I was going to say, speaking <laughs> of legendary creatures, Thalia, but we'll talk about Unburial Rites yeah. instead. We'll, we'll come back to her because she's definitely worth talking about. But Unburial Rites, I know when we previewed it, I liked it, and I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if it would see any play because it costs five or four, but this is possibly one of the best reanimation spells 
ever. And reanimation spells, you know, usually the best ones are ones that are really cheap and come with some sort of drawback, be, or very, very specific, um, and what they can get back, because the, then the top decks can play them for two or three mana. Uh, this still seems fair at five mana or four mana, and the four mana being, it has to already be in the graveyard. It still feels fair, but I'm using quotation marks because of all the silly stuff you can do with it. And, um, is the, just the fact that you get two uses out of it, it's like play a creature, or they kill it or they answer it. You play an unburial rites and it's so disheartening because then they know they have to get through it again and then at least one more time, even if you don't have anything else. Plus the fact that the decks where you mill yourself, this can then go ahead and get played from the graveyard. It's not out, full out busted like, um, the one where you sack, it's got a flashback of sack three creatures, which is very combo-rific. It's not crazy like that, but this is still very good. And there were whole archetypes built around this card, so I can't forget to mention this one. Yeah, it's it 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 is a flashback that really makes it crazy, like Dread Return, like Brian mentioned. Yeah, because then you don't even have to be careful about how you're sculpting your hand in relation to your graveyard. You can just dump as much crap as possible into the graveyard, and oh look, unburial rights. Oh look. (laughs) I wish I had that experience with my unburial rights deck. Yeah, it didn't really work out for you, Strange. Not especially. <laughs> that was but, weird. But no, like, that's the whole thing. Like, at this point in time, there are two or three other spells that for five mana will dig something out of your graveyard. But they don't matter because you have to get it there a more fair way. Mm-hmm. Like, the reason it worked was because you could just use all of these cards that cost, like, two mana or three mana and load right. your yard with four or five cards at a time while, you know, setting up your hand with other stuff. And yeah. it just worked so well. Like, now that it's going to be gone... Even though we have the tools to reanimate, I don't think we're going to be doing a whole lot of it. I wonder if Scavenging Ooze will drop off a little bit. It's still such a good card, though. Um, so, Mike, you mentioned a certain female legendary human creature. Yeah, Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. Um, and because in Standard I played so many decks that were light on creatures and heavy on spells, she was a massive... Uh, she was always massively cramping my style. Whenever I want to you that. again. Yeah. Yeah. She's good. And just a, a two one with first strike for two is already not terrible because you're just going to be getting in there all the time. And that mm-hmm. ability just puts them a turn behind on their, on their wraths. Yeah. You their, might as well just play the stone, right? <laughs> it's yeah. a very critical turn behind for the decks that are running the wrath because they uh-huh. need that extra turn. Yeah. yeah. I don't want my Sphinx's Revelation to cost three, four, five more. Sorry. There, there was one that I was hoping would see more play, um, was, uh, Miss Holographin, just cause it's so out there in its design. <laughs> Miss Holographin. Is that the one that can play from Exile? Yep. I still, I was hoping to get one deck that I could, like, consistently exile it with a Moorland Haunt and then recast it and then exile it again and recast it. But See, that that's pretty sweet. I think the big problem with it is just that when it's in, it's just a 3-3 flyer, so... Yeah. Yeah. It, its ability to come back is trumped somewhat by the fact that it doesn't do much when it gets here. Right. Exactly. Unless, like um, like JT said, if you get get something really, really valuable out of the act of exiling it, so... Um, yeah, I got something to put in my casual permission deck where I'm tossing it to either 
um, logic force of will. delve or yeah or force of will. Didn't you get this from me? Uh, yes. <laughs> wow, exiling it to a force of we will feels really dirty. It is. It's so bad. You're like, oh. Okay. Well, um, undying was a thing, and uh, I think as predicted. Strangergeist was a big card and saw lots of play. Chewy from Monday Night Magic, you know, you, you cover more of the news, so you're more up with these things, but I think it saw play for quite a while, isn't that right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's still in the, yeah. some of the red green aggro decks, I think. Okay. And then obviously Dross Messenger, but we already talked about that in the context of zombies. Yeah, zombies. Yeah, yeah zombies. The, the mechanic in general is, as it is sort of the opposite of the old persist mechanic, is a lot more oppressive because it's like either I can take, you know, the two damage a turn just letting this thing through, or I can bite the bullet, kill it, deal with whatever it's, you know, coming in ability is and do it again. And yeah. it's just such a massive wall to fight through when they just dump another one for two or three mana. Persist just felt a little more fair. I'm not saying this is unfair, but the concept of you get a creature up front and then if they kill it, you get it back, but it's a little weaker. But like with, obviously, Kitchen Finks, a lot of times you're just playing it for the effect. Anyway, and then if you happen to get a body again, that's great. This is, you kill it and you make it better. That is just such a strange concept. Micaeus the Unhallowed is going to be ruining EDH forever. Is it banned? It should be. It's not. No, it's It's just just awesome. It's just it, it's one of those that sets up so many combos, uh, completely unfair uh, combos, that it's kind of like, uh If you see somebody playing it, you should probably kill them. Just a just a pro tip. Um, Ooh, I got one. Go ahead. Hellrider. Hellrider. Once again, there were so many influential cards in this block, but Hellrider, it was good? A little bit? Yeah, just, just a touch. You know. He makes any sort of attack, uh, a deck that wants to attack just that much better. And by that much, I mean like a whole lot. You know, not that it counts for anything now, but I totally called that one. When that was previewed, I said, I think this is really, really, really good. And I think, I don't think anyone necessarily disagreed me, with me. I do think there was some discussion about, is this the card you want to be playing on turn four? Uh, because once again, four is a really crowded slot, but pretty much once it's caught, yes. <laughs> well, it, it had a little bit of there, uh, a very brief time where people weren't sure what to do with it. And then I, I think again, probably in the heyday of Delver, because it's hard to attack into anything that has three power that costs one mana. And you know, you also know they're holding a counter spell or a bounce spell or whatever, but when it had the chance to shine, you started playing Hellrider and you just never looked back. It see it saw play last weekend. It will always see play. Ooh, ooh, I got another one. Alright. Uh this was a bizarre ass standard combo deck. Angel of Glory's Rise. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. It's your human nonsense. Yes. Blink some humans and get them back, and some may make mana and some exile other ones, and you get there were a couple of variations. One would get you infinite life, or one would deal infinite damage, or one would actually mill out the opponent, and yeah, it's crazy. Wait a minute, I lied. I got another, another one. Okay. Uh, sideboard superstar, Zealous Conscripts. Yes. Uh, yeah. I ran yeah. a main board, and I didn't regret it. It was fun. Yeah. The ability to snatch a planeswalker. There was, there was one game I saw where it was that uh, a guy literally used it to Steal an opponent's Kessick Wolf Run. 
Ooh. For the that is sick. <laughs> for the win. And they, they were just looking at it, and he had literally set up so perfectly that everybody knew he had it, and he played it, and they are like, he can't win with this. And he said, I'll take the Keswick Wolf run. Everybody just kind of stopped, and the coverage just kind of stopped. And they're like, uh, oh, my God, he's about to win. Whereas he was about to lose, like, immediately. And then it was like, wow. And what are you going to do if you tap it in response? It untaps it well. when you get it. So. <laughs> yeah. You can give your blocker trample. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. So the number of things that Zealous Conscripts gives you in addition to a three, let's not forget the fact that it also gives you a three, three hasty body. This may be one of the best threaten effects ever. I'm just going to say. Yeah. It goes well with Dead Eye Navigator too. Planeswalker stories out of that. (laughs) So many people are like, yeah, then he he took my Tamiyo and he ultimated it. And you're like, yeah. That sure so did happen nice. every week for three months till people learned. <laughs> Basically, getting the ultimate out of them is just almost, it just feels so good for you and so bad for them. Soren Lord of Innistrad, I'll take your guy, sacrifice him to blow up your three guys to get them. Yep. Or whatever, whatever, um, whatever Tybalt's ultimate was. I don't know. I, I don't think you, you oh, are. I, I don't think he had one. I don't think that ever. Think oh. that. His ultimate was show up in a dual deck. <laughs> I'm, taking on, once. I'm taking on the second oldest planeswalker ever, a vampire planeswalker, because I am Tybalt. Because I am snappily dressed, damn it. Oh man, there were a couple of, uh, uh, what was it called? Damn it. Da, 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 da. Look, it's, it hasn't even rotated yet. Not, oh, soulbond creatures that we completely missed. That were very important, but they weren't rare. The Near Heath Pilgrim. Yes. The guy who gives lifelink was huge for a minute. Yeah. He might still be, actually, in the, the right deck. I can't once, remember. Once, once again, giving the angel from Geist lifelink is just crazy. Because yeah. And then the, uh, who's the haste one? Uh, not, not him as much. I didn't think about him. He was, well, he was one of the scariest ones, the lightning mauler, because yeah. of all, because of the potential to just, wait a minute, what if Gristlebrand has haste? You know? I was actually, <laughs> buh, that, I was actually thinking story. of the uh, Nightshade Peddler. Yeah. He was the one yeah. that I used to make my dragon kill everything. It was yeah. One. What does it tell you that people were literally put one of the best combos with this green creature was a creature that costs a blue and a red and one. <laughs> Is it Static Caster? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kill them all. Was, was actually a top-level thing for I kind of wondered why that deck never seemed to show up again, at least not visibly. Because I wonder people, for a while it was like, holy crap, you're doing that? Why are you, oh my god, all my stuff is dead. <laughs> and then I think maybe people kind of, I, I don't know. I, I think if the Pillar asking, of Flames kind of kept it turned off. Yeah. Maybe. You know, there's formats change. This was also the format of the the power one drops where you had like your Stromkirk Noble and your um Champion of the Parish. Yeah. And like for a while, that was just like your turn one, go get them. You remember Vexing Devil? Vexing Devil was going to be huge, and there were some people that were immediately saying, "Oh, this is a bad spell," and I don't think it was ever bad, but it um it, it was better. It 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 just did not see the play that. A lot of people, myself included, were expecting it to to be at just because 
I guess giving a choice to an opponent is just never a good idea. And even though it is a four mana burn spell for a, a red, sometimes that's just not enough. So yeah, sometimes it's a stupid guy who sits there and can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, and I think I remember when I saw it, like I, I, it did look good, but I still got that feeling like as with all of those red choice cards, you're never actually going to get the one you you want. Yeah, the most use I ever got out of it was um, as a four drop with the brimstone volley because that hurts. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Your, your opponent's brimstone like, I'll take four, volley. and then I'll take five, and then oh, ow. Brimstone volley's a thing. That was fun. That's something that I would just up and lose to sometimes. Yeah. Tree of Redemption is combo horrific. Yay, zero yeah. thirteen defenders with really weird wacky abilities. Hey, put a counter on that thing and gain life forever. Very slowly. Kind of, yeah, every other turn, kind of, sort of. Very slowly. Uh, We could literally talk about every single card here. There are so many. We haven't talked about the tokens yet. We haven't talked about Midnight Haunting. We haven't talked about what's the one that's a better Midnight Haunting. Oh, God, Lingering Souls. Lingering Lingering Souls Souls is a big and that's the question. And if you're wondering, like, how could we not talk about lingering souls? It's like because we have all these other freaking cards. Because Innistrad really Block was awesome. Holy it was a yeah. really good year. Souls. Yeah, Spider Spawning was actually a really good card in draft. One of the things that was so great about Innistrad was you could actually draft decks that played like constructed decks because there were all these little cards that built on a theme that you could actually draft for. It, it wasn't necessarily draft 15 great creatures and some kill spells and go to town. You could do that, but you could do these kind of almost more mature strategies. Distinguished with a robust aftertaste. And the Slightly, Don't forget the you picky could, up. You could also do the stalker cleaver thing and make everyone hate you. Oh, God. Oh, I love the stalker Invisible cleaver. stalker. And the cleaver. The I got to cleaver. do that. Yeah. I got to do that during the pre-release. It was that just, God, it's that so demoralizing. So I managed bad. to beat that at the pre-release. No, it I, wasn't the cleaver. Yeah, no, was it the cleaver? Or just I think the silver dagger. It was the dag. Wait, what did that do? That just the dagger gives extra power if it's a human. I yeah, so I beat would just I beat like four turns, I beat but. the cleaver on a, on an invisible stalker, and I don't even remember how. I'd have to go back and listen to that episode. It. it must have been something where I was already ahead. Because I don't know how else you beat that. It's really Runes- oh no wait I didn't play it on the Invisible Stalker I'm sorry I played it with uh, werewolves so when they were humans they were massive life linkers and when they were werewolves they were terrifying. So again like I could name six other cards at least like the Rune Chanter's Pike that was huge in Delver for a while but we could we'd be up all night with this. We'd, we'd be here for the like 600 awesome cards that happened yeah. that year. So. I, I'm 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 good to stop if you guys are. Oh, here's another one, Michael Miss. Mm-hmm. Tribute to Hunger. Oh, which was amazing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna miss. I, I, I'm gonna miss being able to play Border and Blood as well. Yeah. Oh, no more Border and Blood. And I would get, and people would react to like, you main deck Barter and Blood. Like, Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. What were you about to say, Bill? Oh, I was just saying that um, Intangible Virtue got a special mention for being banned in block because it was just that good. And it, like, while token decks were still around, it was disgusting. Yeah. Because of all the aforementioned tons of tokens you could get that could fly and do terrible things to people. Hey, JT, you got anything else? Um, no, I hit my big one, so I'm good. (laughs) Right, well... 
hopefully uh, you've enjoyed this little trip down memory lane, and hopefully not only have the maybe this has gotten you thinking about how standards going to look or looks by the time that um, you hear this, and maybe this will help you remember. Oh yeah, think about these like what five dozen cards we've talked about, and some of them are still really cool. So you might be able to pick some of them up cheaper now if uh, if they're not really seeing a lot of play in other formats, and you know go to town with those Dead Eye Navigators and and whatnot. So literally dozens of cards we've talked about. There is. One more card that I want to mention, not because it was standard playable, not because it's an amazing card, but because of all the stupidity that came from it. Mirror Mad Phantasm? Nope. Oh, okay. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Yup. The uh, horrible rapist uh, violence against women card, Triumph of Ferocity. Oh, yes. That was a scandal. That was, kind of. That was, it was yeah. a bunch of butthurt people being stupid, but it was hilarious to watch happen. <laughs> It was an interesting just, time to be on Twitter. I, I don't, I don't really get off of the whole, um, Judge Judy, uh, drama, like Jerry Springer sort of. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not equating these people to, I just don't like watching the. <laughs> Some of them you should. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't really enjoy watching the drama sort of stuff. People get upset over these things. And some people, you know, take it very seriously and some people don't. And I'm just staying out of it. So, eh. yeah. I don't find it fascinating or entertaining. When it's as dumb as this was, though, I do. They're like, clearly this is some sort of a horrible... No, he's they're, they're planeswalkers. They're two of the main characters. They're fighting. He's a big dude. This is what happens. Shut up. <laughs> Considering the other card was set after it and showed that Liliana kind of kicked his ass. Yeah. It was sort of one of those things where you're like, here's a scene where he vaguely has the upper hand, and then right after that, he is left for dead. So, (laughs) yeah. That's context, though. You can't have that in a baseless stupidity discussion. Obviously. Uh, Especially not on the internet. Especially not on the internet. Yeah. But anyway. (laughs) Popular Science recently um, uh, decided to disable comments on their articles. Nice. Good on them. And partly because they were, the would. and and partly because of a series of studies that um that showed that uh that like you know overly you know uh, that showed that uh, why can't I talk all of a sudden I'm not that sure that those overreactive comments that you always see in the comments section of everything actually affect people's perception of like uh, of of the article and and yes. not just anything but like science related stuff. That's really too bad because I always look at you those know, things, comments. things that eventually shape public policy. You know, I, I always look at comments on just about any internet article, be it even like the news stuff that's on Yahoo or, or I do whatever. Not, never. And I look at those because I just laugh. It doesn't shape my opinion about the article. That stuff will write your brain. And, and, <laughs> and the peep and the mm, so. Well, I am not gonna. I am not gonna, I am not gonna let that be the last card because I just found that discussion kind of simple. So I'm gonna mention Skirstag High Priest as being so awesome because it saw no play at all for a long time. It was just one of these quirky, weird rares that was like, oh look, it's kind of fun. And then for the last six months or so, uh, once some of the junk tokens decks started taking off, people were like, hey, wait a minute, you can tap this thing. And get a 5-5. This was actually being played in the... uh, In the Aristocrats. Yeah, the Aristocrats decks, too. Yeah. And it was one of those... The first time you saw it, you're like, 
What does it do again? I don't know. And I was like, ask Schofield. I'm like, the hell, dude. And he's like, here's why. And he gave me, like, not Magical Christmas Land, but something feasible. And I was like, that's freaking crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Every now and then it's nice to see. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got, like, four or five copies of that from drafts. It's nice to see it actually doing something, you know? Yeah. So, and now I'm. it, it, It shouldn't be that hard to figure out. Like, you start with, okay, imagine a creature dies. Like, that's that's not really a stretch of the imagination. Like a doomed traveler. They tend to die because they're doomed. It's really interesting how we went from the block where we're, you know, focusing heavily on the graveyard and all of that. And then the year after that is the year when we're reanimating everything out of the graveyard or we're sacrificing things left and right. It's like we did the whole thing backwards. <laughs> and, and that's why now Brian's getting all these gold cards in the new set. It's just going to keep happening. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Dang What monocolor? What devotion? I'm yeah, devotion to gold. They're not devoted to me. Scrooge McDuck up in this bitch. Anyway. <laughs> yes, I'm just going to go dive headfirst into all my gold cards. I, I think it's going to come out very well for me, though. It'll be hilarious to watch, though. Let me let me get my camera handy. Anyway, anyway, so uh, we should probably go ahead and, and kill this episode. So, I think so. Yeah. So that was awesome. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun, as it always is. How about some final thoughts, Mike? Final thoughts. Um, well, we lost a lot of interesting and format-defining stuff from Innistrad, but Theros is really cool, and of course there are still good cards in Return to Ravnica that you know don't 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 forget about those. Um, it it might be a while before I figure out another standard deck to play. I had an idea for a modern deck. It turns out I'm missing a few more cards than I thought I was. So. Oops. I might, yeah, apparently I traded away one of my um, Death Clouds to someone who wanted it for Commander. And I didn't realize I did that. Um, yeah, so i got to find another one of those somehow. I might have one. I will look through my stuff. What do you, oh, yeah, that's right. You asked me about that. Hey, look, I have this binder right here. I've been, like, reorganizing <laughs> that, my uh, magic stuff since I've got carpet in the new house and I can put it away. Yay! But, um... But yeah, I'm still very much looking forward to the rest of the Heroes Path events. Um, I don't know what, I don't know if they're gonna do like regular FNM or like a booster draft or what at Lucky's for the launch or Hey, I have a Death Cloud. Something. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, Lucky's is doing both normal FNM and then, uh, Carrie was on Facebook earlier. I was, I was not anywhere near a computer. She looks over at me and she's like, you're not doing a launch party. And I'm like, I didn't know. I could. She's like, you're not doing a launch party. I'm like, okay, because I got to do two pre-releases, so that was uh-huh. kind of pushing it anyway. So uh, I said, all right, I'm not doing it, so what's the deal? She said, they're doing a, a SEAL tournament on Saturday. So you'll have to get the details from Facebook because I didn't – I wasn't going to look on and go, oh, look, that okay. looks like it's awesome. I can't do it. So, yeah. Well, I might not be able to go because I think Thomas is coming over to visit on Saturday, but oh well. But I've got your death cloud. All right, awesome word. Death cloud for mine. Um, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to the rest of the heroes path stuff, and um, even if I don't play in events, I'm gonna go and see if I can get one of the the hero cards. Yeah, I'm gonna try to too. Stare at the puzzle for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. John had one. John had the poster hanging up on uh, the wall in his shop, the toy factory, but I didn't spend any time looking at it. I didn't get a chance to. Oh well. Yeah, I guess it, I didn't really have any coherent final thought. That's it. Fair enough. Toby? 
I don't really have a coherent final thought either. I will say um, that any time a new set comes out, you have a lot of people, some are professional Magic players, some are not, that are all trying to predict how fast and how slow the limited format is going to be. And I heard so many people say it's going to be such a slow limited format. It's going to be Battle Cruiser Magic. And that was, there were certainly some bigger plays that I saw, but you've got so many efficient creatures at the lower cost. You've got three threes for three. At four, you've got four fives and five fives and at least four fours. So the potential for aggression shouldn't be overlooked. So if you go in and you think, oh, my curve will start at three and I'm, you know, I'm just going to play mana fixing for the first four turns and it'll be great. Does not mean that that's gonna how gonna be how it goes. So I would just try and keep an open mind and wish everyone out there good luck with uh, the new set. And um, I guess it's appropriate to say that as we look back at what we have lost. I have an addendum to your thought. You had also mentioned earlier about it feeling also really swingy. Um, there there was a play on Saturday that I forgot to talk about where I was able to you know I'll play. Mogus is Marauder. I have four devotions, so these four guys get haste and intimidate. Here's eleven damage. You can't block. Game over. And then um the gray merchant is I'm gonna just say is one of the best cards in the set. It just you can argue with me or not, but it just is. And um so I guess that would make you wrong if you did argue with me. Uh and it's that it's that same sort of effect of like, oh look, i mean I would play it just for two devotion, just for its own devotion half the time. And if you can get any more out of it, it's just crazy. So those those sort of effects with reach, with the ability to just, oh, you think you're at a comfortable life, now you're not, and, oh, by the way, combat just changed entirely. Yeah, I definitely so. swung into one or two reach guys while not at all paying attention. Dang it, man. It was bad. That's you are fired. Thought. All right, well, how about you there, silent JT guy? All right, um, like uh, Brian and Mike were talking about, I'm actually really excited for this new uh, set coming out. Um, like I've said probably 15 million times, both here and on other forums, now I'm losing my entire deck, so I'm actually really excited to see what I can come up with for the new uh, standard. I've actually been thinking about not playing standard, but the shop I go to now is having free FNMs every Friday in October, where the prizes are singles from Vault 20. So I kind of have to get into those. Um, but yeah, so right now I'm thinking of going monocolored, which is why I was asking Brian about his thoughts on it earlier. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so far, like I said, my thoughts are going monocolored. I'm actually thinking mono blue with Prognostic Sphinx as the finisher. Okay. But we'll see how we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, is it cool if I plug my blog real, really quick? Of course. Yeah. Um, so like I said at uh, the beginning, I'm NerdPop140 on Twitter, but I also run um, a blog, uh, nerdpopularity.blogspot.com. Um, it's me and a group of some of my friends who literally we just write about anything that makes us nerd out and excited. Um, I do card games. My friend does anime, cosplay. Um, another one of my friends is into TV shows, uh, things like that. So uh, check it out if you want, if you enjoyed my little random musings on random cards here and there. But if not, no big deal. 
And thank you guys for having me on again. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. It's always good to have you. We'll have to actually see you in person again. Although Carrie tells me after I made day two of a of a of a, a Grand Prix that I'm never going to a Grand Prix ever again. And I saw the schedule for next year, and I don't think it matters if she decrees that or not because there's not one really around here in a She's format. She's got a lot more pull at Wizards than any of us realized as well. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, because there's not one around here in a format that I want to play like pretty much all year. You have to go to, like, D.C. or something, right? Yeah, something and I think it's modern. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, people that like modern, I have no problem with that. I'm just... I it's just cool, you just you have to build a deck. It. Yeah. What were you going to say, Chewy? Something about my wife? Okay. I had lunch with your wife. I heard. I heard cool. everything. <laughs> yeah. As was foretold. I'm glad you enjoyed having lunch with her. I kind of think she's pretty cool, too. Man, dude, you should totally marry her. Oh, wait, hang on. <laughs> That's not what I wanted to say. Was if you like her so much, won't you marry her? Mm, marry yeah, her. I, I figured that's where you're going with that. <laughs> but I, I screwed it up because I'm tired. So, so yes, well, Bill. Yo, alrighty. Final thought. Um, so I went on to tapped out and I started experimenting because I got a deck idea that I thought would be fun. And what I found is that so the base idea of the deck is running Perforos, God of the Forge, <laughs> yeah, and Young Pyromancer together because at that point in the game. Every spell in your hand comes to free shock. Be it a okay. creature or not a creature, as long as you're not dumping something that's not in the deck, everything comes with a free shock. <laughs> and it gets really, really fun and really crazy really fast. And when I started building out of that, um, I realized that there are all these cards in the core set and that are like double mana. And at the time I hated them because they were just a pain and limited, but like your mind sparkers and your Chandra's Phoenix and all of that pair up really well with things like Ash Zealot, Oros Reckoner, all this other stuff that were all just like the, double or triple. They're all just like instantly going to get you there. All of the hate creatures. All of the hate creatures have yeah. two specific mana. I forgot yeah. about that. It, it works really That's nicely. Interesting. It's like I was, I started looking at it like Mindsparker is, you know, a 3-2 first striker who's going to shock someone if they're running the white or blue instance and sorceries, which is, you know, whoop de do. But when you're also aiming for Devotion, he's a really nice additional copies of Boris Reckoner. And you can just turn Perforos on really, really fast doing that. And likewise, if you're doing what I'm doing and you're throwing in, like, the Pyromancer, then, like, the tokens aren't contributing, but Perforos' other ability to, like, team fire breathe gets out of hand really fast. So I've had a lot of fun designing it. And also finding that Tapped Out is really confused as to what to do with these um, legendary enchantment creatures. Because it lists them as your enchantments and your creatures. It just puts them under both. I don't know if it does that with artifact creatures and it never happened before and I just didn't notice it, but it was really confusing when I was trying to figure out what happened to my deck count. Like, <laughs> you've got six enchantments. I'm like, I do? Oh, I guess I do. But, alright then. So yeah, that, that's sort of my final thought on that one. It's, it's been a lot of fun just messing around with the cards in a subtle sense and also fire everywhere and seeing how many different ways people can sell Perforos on Twitter. It's also been fun. <laughs> this is this is always one of my favorite times of the year in terms of magic because everybody's trying to figure stuff out and we haven't had to deal we we won't have to deal with Delver the Delver deck for another month or so. So yeah, once I even started, people figure it out. I started testing with Fire Drink Crusader even though a lot of people are thinking it's not that great. I'm like, well, I mean, I don't care about my life total and it's that much more damage I'm doing to your face. So turns out it's a it's not bad. I mean, we we always knew that like jackal pups are good, but 
you know, it's pretty nice. Like, you can't run more than four Rakdos Cacklers, so that argument's kind of dumb. <laughs> like, you don't want just four of a one-drop if you're an aggressive deck. you got to find somebody else to hit with. Yeah. And Limited, I'm not a huge fan of being instructed. That's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he's pretty cool in foil, so. Yep. That also happened. Goober. But yeah, so that's it for me. Other than that, um, if you work at Wizards of the Coast, hire me. It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, he'll be the janitor. He doesn't care. Mail boy. Hey, I, I actually did apply for the social media thing because I thought it'd be really funny if Squee Tweets became legit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't expect to get this position, but it, it was fun to put together a portfolio of my favorite tweets and send that as if it were like an artist portfolio. So, hopefully if they have my sense of humor, it'll be great. <laughs> uh, sorry. That's awesome. So I guess that's me? Yep. Yes. Huh. I, strangely enough, I don't have much. Um, Sweet. Good night, everybody. Ben, shut up, you. I've been, oh, dude, I've been playing XCOM again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what really pisses me off? I bought the two DLC packs that I'd, I'd never bought for uh, XCOM, so I could just go ahead and start playing. Guess what the deal of the week is starting yesterday? Ta-da. Mother of 12 bastards, they're both 50% off. I was like, <laughs> like that. It irked me. He is harsh. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, me and drug test chick are still, uh, dating? Going out? I don't know what the kids call it these days. Labels. <laughs> we still get together and spend time together on a fairly regular basis. Co-mingling. Co-mingling, there you go. Mm. I got to meet her daughter. She's precious. So that was cool. Uh, she wasn't afraid of me. My beard did not try to eat her, Brian. Good. <laughs> that only comes up during presidential elections. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Got a few years, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, there was something else I was gonna... Something, something... Oh, well. Oh, for those wondering about the, uh... If you've seen anything on Twitter or in social media anywhere, wondering about the future of MTG Cast, <laughs> so am I. So, I guess we'll all find out together. <laughs> and if you have no idea what that, what's going on there, then don't ask. You'll find out soon enough. Or you won't. I don't know. I don't freaking know. Quit asking me. I don't know. If you get this podcast on MTG Cast, it, this happened three months ago. So Yeah, then you should really subscribe to our <laughs> I'm just saying. Actually, if you're listening to us through MTG Cast and it's been three months, everything is fine. <laughs> everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know whether to make a joke about that or glad Brian stuck his neck out. That's me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So with that, just go ahead and call it. Um, thanks to everyone who's been offering up uh, support and and whatnot for my recent uh, well sob stories here on the show. I don't mean I'm not trying to drum up uh, sympathy or anything. I'm just trying to use my own experiences to help out some of you guys. So I appreciate it. Um, I'm slowly taking steps to make everything better. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. One thing that'll make everything better is going to get some ice cream, which I'm going to do as soon as we're done. And with that, we're done. So let's go listen to some Swift. Thank you very much, uh, Bill and JT, for uh, being half a Dirk apiece. It's a lot of fun. Half a Dirk apiece. Half a Dirk apiece. Half a Dirk apiece. That's fun to say. Oh, my God, new (laughs) episode name. Comment, comment, comment. Goblin Shaman Common at half a dirk apiece. Hoplite. Hoplite. Oh my god, I love you. Turtle <laughs> <laughs> Branch. Boo. Oh wait, that's something else. <laughs> right, we're done now. So, thank you all 
very much for listening, and uh, go play some magic.